Welcome to the Galen Trombley Show. You can find me on Facebook at Galen Trombley, on Instagram at Galen Trombley, and on YouTube at Galen Trombley. Spelling G-A-E-L-A-N-T-R-O-M-B-L-E-Y. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Galen Trombley Show. Um, episode 77, Galen Trombley Show. I have Danny Valenzuela here. And Danny is um, a special education or the special education principal at CVES at the Plattsburgh campus. Um, yes, and sir. The, uh, welcome, Danny. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You, you said that uh, you've listened to snippets of the show, which is great. Uh, my last couple guests, I've, it was funny. I think I had Jody Parks and who was the other one? I think it was Matt. John Mulholland said he listened. I think he said he listened to a couple. Then Matt Boyer, and they're like, "No, nah, I haven't listened yeah. to any." So, well, at least you guys are honest. So, um, the uh, hopefully they bumped up the ratings, and, and you'll do the same. Yeah. But uh, um, so, Danny, for anybody that does not know you, just kind of because we've had this conversation before. Mm-hmm. Um, like, how did you get to Plattsburgh? Where are you from? How'd you get to Plattsburgh? What was your kind of your, I guess, map quest road here? Yeah, it's it's a weird one. I'm originally from Long Island. Uh, families from Long Island, New York City. That's been my vibe growing up. And then I went to school at SUNY Potsdam. And from SUNY Potsdam, I, long story short, struggled with school, but got my act together and figured out what I needed to figure out. And then at the time, it was when the economy was going down, kind of like it is now, it was 2011-ish, 2012. And there were no teaching jobs back at home. And teaching jobs were really hard to find because people had gotten major layoffs. People that I knew who were teachers were working at restaurants and stuff just until this passed. So I had gotten an offer at Potsdam to stay as a teacher. And for a second, I wasn't going to take it because I didn't want to stay. I wanted to go home. I wanted to get out the North Country. And then I took that job. And taking that job um, was the game changer for me to be in the North Country as long as I have. I just had the right mentors, right people at the right time, was teaching for five years, and then got my administrative degree and landed an internship here in Plattsburgh, and I've been here since. So, and you said you taught at Potsdam, was the school, college? I taught uh, for the uh, the BOCES region there, St. Lawrence Lewis BOCES, mm-hmm. um, as a special education teacher over there for an autism program. And then through connections and stuff, you transferred over to the Plattsburgh area? Yeah. So I think I asked you before, but what brought you to Potsdam to begin with? I'm always fascinated because Potsdam, Plattsburgh, very north, very rural, very yeah. cold. And when you see a lot of kids from Long Island, um, the city that come up yeah. here, I always wonder how did you hear about <laughs> it, and then what made you, what enticed you to come up, you know, four or five hours north, maybe six hours um, actually in Potsdam. Going to college was a big thing, and I didn't. More so, I was a music kid in high school. Like I was really into music, performing, I did a lot of dancing, a lot of, well, you know, I played the saxophone, I was in choir, did a whole, I had a lot of great musical opportunities when I was in high school. And so, but through that, specifically through dancing and seeing my friends, like you have to be, you, you don't have to be good. Like you can be good, but you have to be amazing to like make a living out of this stuff because it's really hard. So I would see the hardships of my friends who were very, very talented 
couple friends who I've had been Rockettes. Um, you know, I went to a dance studio that exposed me to a whole new network of people. And these are great trained dancers. And it's hard. It's hard to get jobs that you can make a successful living out of. So I saw that side of it, too. So I found Potsdam because I was contemplating auditioning for Crane on my saxophone. I played the alto sax. Mm-hmm. I was in marching band. I was in wind ensemble, jazz band. And it was really my niche. Um, but then I decided not to because I saw what happened to some people. And I was like, you know what? Music's more so a, a side hobby, a de-stressor. Been through a lot growing up. So music was always my, let me let yeah, use that to get it out. Yep. Um, and I was fearful that going to school for music would make it turn into a negative because I have heard of that happening at the time. And so I found Potsdam because I could still pursue an education degree while the Crane School of Music was attached. And so between the Crane School and the dance programs and things they had there, I didn't necessarily have to be a major there to tap into it. Mm -hmm. And that's what I really liked. I could still pursue, in my mind, thinking something that was a plan B, something that will give me a solid nine to five job where I have a steady income for the most part as a teacher. We'll get into that. Uh, But then I was able to tap into the music stuff while I was there, which was great. I tapped into the dance program, tapped into some music stuff. I was in an acapella group called the Pots and Point Accounts. And so that was a really cool experience. So you can sing too? A little bit. Yeah. (laughs) We might have you sing before we're off this. uh, um, So I, I guess... So, okay, so you originally came kind of because the music had a tie. Because Potsdam, I know, was very musical. I came because the attachment to music is what appealed to me. And then when I came to visit, it was that was the game changer. I I just really liked the vibe and the atmosphere. And I struggled with school, Mm -hmm. and I still kind of do, I guess. Um, So I needed that smaller type of campus vibe. Because if I had gone to SU or any of those NY big, big schools, it's just you're just a number in those schools, so I, I like that. Got lost a bit, yeah. In the shuffle, yeah. Um, now, did you recognize that? I mean, obviously, you were 17, 18 year old kid at that point, so you you were pretty aware of yourself at that point, knowing like, hey, I need a little extra, maybe a little smaller campus, a little more maybe one on one attention, or maybe a, even a quieter setting, maybe to think or study or whatever. You know, it's interesting because a lot of people wouldn't know, but I was actually going through one of the most traumatic experiences of my life at that time. Oh, really? Yeah. And I needed to get out. And school was my way out. Um, And going away was the best thing to happen to me. It allowed me to find myself and figure out who I was. Because at the time, I had this facade that I knew who I was. But at the time, I was going through some intense family things, personal things, um, and just needed to rediscover who I was. And going away to school was the thought at the time for me to do it. I didn't want to. I was scared. Yeah. I was, you know, one of those where you chicken out right when it's time to go. But... It's the best thing to happen to me was to go away. Um, and, and now you obviously like being up in the North Country. I'm learning to love it. Yeah. Yeah. You've, you've been here. Um, are you 30 yet? I am 32. 32. Okay. Yeah. I, I know you've told me this. My memory's terrible. So, but you've been up here for over 10 years now. Yes. Between the two, like between college and then Potsdam. And I Potsdam. got here 2006 mm-hmm. and then graduated undergrad 2011, my master's at 2012 and then 2012 until 2016 was in Potsdam and then September 2016 transitioned to Plattsburgh. Cool. So um, now 
Okay, so like the, the music stuff, can you still play saxophone? Is that still like a hobby? No, long story short, I had jaw reconstructive surgery when okay. I was like 20, 21. So I, ha- I can't, it's not the same anymore. Yeah, the shape the, and stuff of the reed the and all that. The armature and all that stuff. So it's unfortunate, but it's not the same. Um, so I don't play anymore. But Any like guitar, piano, picked up any of that? No, but I'm surrounded by it all the time. Yeah, good, yeah. good. Um, so I, because that's the one thing a lot of, it's tough. Do you find like your passion? Because I've had um, I had Sam Morris on here, and she did Irish dancing, and I've had mm-hmm. a couple people that they go they've or whether they own a gym or something where they have a um, like it's more of a hobby or a passion, then they try to turn it into their business because they have a mm-hmm. passion for it. And then some people they kind of do they get burnt out from doing it, and that like what you had just said is, do I go in for music? I love music, but do I want to use it as my career where I put a lot of focus on it? Maybe not turn it to something that's not fun for me anymore and then you use it as still kind of an escapism mm-hmm. where um, I thought about that too in certain things that I've liked to do would I have wanted to make a career out of it and you say you do until it is like use golf I love golf growing up like I never I mean I never put the time in I was never a kid being like I'm going to play professional golf yeah. or professional baseball or whatever the sport may be I knew I never put enough time in but then I think would I actually love doing it if I knew I had to do it to make a living and I think it would have took some of the fun out of it mm-hmm. personally um, and I don't know, maybe, I mean, I never, again, this is such a far off example. Yeah. I was never going to be that level, but it was, it was one where you think as a kid or, or music, um, could that truly end up being something that you do from a hobby passion to being a career and would you still have fun doing it? Yeah, it's I think a, you could, but it's, it's a risky sacrifice. Um, my sister, uh, is a really good singer. She, she was always known as the one in the family to have the voice. So I was just kind of like the, the, the tag along. And then later on, like, oh, you can sing too. Uh, <laughs> but um, she was pursuing it for a little bit. And I was kind of like really invested in trying to help her. She was, you know, doing the New York scene. And, and, and so it's a sac. And I saw the amount of work and that she would have to put into just to just be noticed. Yeah. You and know? she was good. She was good. Yeah. I, you know, one time she worked for Carnival Cruise as a singer. She had a, you know, her small independent. She has a couple independent tracks, I, you know, trying to link up with producers just to kind of see. Yeah. Yep. Um, I signed her up for X Factor one year. We joke all the time. She's like, damn, I could have been in Fifth Harmony. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, because she was uh, it was that year. So we went. So a lot of cool. But it's a sacrifice and it's hard. And you have to be really, really good not only do you have to be good you have to have people with the money in their pockets to push you so like that's just a a challenge so for me i've if anything i've done like people who know me up here they're shocked when i tell them the things that i've done in my music lane because i've done a lot of sporadic things and it all encompasses and just helps you to be who you are like and for me it's even though i don't tap into it as much for the things that i'm wanting to do which i've shared with you before Mm -hmm. and what i'm working on and grinding on now long term all those elements of the music, the performance side of things is definitely helping me with those other things that I'm trying to do. Do you find that, because you're, you're with, again, with kids a lot during the day, mm-hmm. you know, being a principal, and do you find, and, and again, what's the age, age group that you're with normally? So I'm in special education and I work with kindergarten through 12th grade, okay. and the, it can age up until 21, legally these kids um, are able to stay in school till 21. Mm-hmm. So, and it varies. So m- majority of the population I work with um, is the middle school, high school population. And then I have a kindergarten group, but I have a co-principal. So we share things. So I'm helping out with the elementary all the time, but it's mm-hmm. the whole gamut. So do you find that taking a little bit of the, cause everything builds on who you are. And I, 
tying this into my like my business, I've, I've really thought over the last year, really over the last year, that meeting with, for me, clients, there is an element of, um, especially for listings, mm-hmm. there's an element of presentation, like performance, where you wouldn't think so, but you have to really... It's kind of like re- like taking a comic. You have to like read the crowd, and it's the same thing. You're reading a client, and you deliver stuff differently and at different timing and different mm-hmm. ways. Do you find that performing, even though it was like music, do you do you find that it adds a level of crowd awareness, maybe, where even though you're dealing Absolutely. with students, but yeah, go into that. Absolutely, um, it just prepares you better to deal with. I call it people skills, and I have worked with people who don't have good people skills like they just don't know how to read a crowd or don't know how to read a a situation and then it affects how you deliver the message that you're trying to give them whatever that is so it definitely helps it it helps with understanding the crowd it helps with how you control your nerves and not letting your nerves get the best of you and learning how to use your nerves to help you um and it it for me, it, it helped me become a better speaker. Like, I'm not as nervous to speak in front of a large group of people um, I because I've had these performance experiences where I'm in a massive crowd. Like, I've auditioned, I've danced for people. And the way I started dancing, I was a late bloomer. Someone, my my high school choreographer found me just in the high school group. She goes, you, you can pick up. Have you ever thought, like, you've never taken a dance class? I'm like, no. You know, she brought me to the dance studio. Everyone's in dance gear, and I'm in high tops, basketball shorts, and a Yankee fitted. Like, that totally stood out. But she's like, no, you could do this. And I'm like, you want me to spin three times? And and so all those things, it just forced, in my case, it just really helped me to better do what I do now, you know? What uh, what type of dance? It varied. I was more um, of a hip-hop kind of, because that's how I started. I just... I'm Latin, I'm Dominican, and so family parties is just very mm-hmm. rhythmic. That's our culture. It's a lot of um, very festive and a lot of movement, you know, hip shaking and all that type of stuff. Um, but that's just natural to me because that's just what we grew up with. Um, so hip hop, I did. Uh, I was exposed to everything. I was exposed to some ballet, some tap, and all that. But I started really, really late, mm-hmm. and it was pretty evident. Like, damn, if I had started when I was a kid, I'd have probably been a really, really good dancer. But just. That's so, how it happens. So your family me. and stuff, they're all just, like, again, you said it's culturally, it's just a great dancer. Like, I mean, your family, your friends, your cousins, everything like yeah. that, it just kind of has more rhythm than, my wife yeah. always jokes, I have no rhythm, which I, I, I'm not a good dancer. Like, any but, family, barbecue, anything, it's just the music is on, and there's Latin music, and you just grab your aunt, grab your cousin, grab your grandma, like, I've danced, you just dance. Yeah. yeah. Um, do you go to, have you ever been back to, you know, well, you never actually lived in the Dominican, right? No, I've never lived there. I was born here in the States, but Do you I've visit? gone. Yeah, I visit a lot. Um, and that, what, what's it like down there? I mean, pretty fun? It's fun. It's definitely a different culture down there. You know, very, very high poverty. Yeah. Um, the government system down there is a mess. Um, you know, it, it makes you not take things for granted. That's for sure. What, uh, what's population roughly down there? Oof. Well, I mean, uh, ballpark. We don't need an exact number. It'd be good uh, if you whoop that off. I can't, but I can look it Is, up on the like phone. A, I mean, oh, probably over a million? Yeah, and we share the small portion of it with Haiti, too. Yeah. Um, you know, so, but it's a different culture there, and it you have to have tough skin. You mm-hmm. have to have tough skin um, because you're just exposed to different things and just different way of living down there. It's, uh, well, I was kind of joking when um, 
when I asked your na- last name, because I didn't know your last name, but um, Valenzuela, I said it just sounds like a baseball name, but Dominican, obviously, Dominican Republic has a lot of... My favorite baseball player all time, Vladimir Guerrero. I don't know yeah. If, I don't know. You know him? Yeah. I got his bat over there signed. No way. He used to play... Oh, yeah. He got, that's dope. So that's... You baseball guy or no? You said Enough. Yankees. Yeah. Okay. Yankees. Yo, make, makes sense. I don't have a choice. Were, were you definitely... <laughs> were, were, what uh, borough were you from? Um, in the city, in the city, most of my family were over in more so like Dykeman in Manhattan, and then in the Bronx, more close to oh, I don't remember the borough, but it was really close to the Frog's Neck Bridge, but around that area, okay. But you were definitely Bronx, like that yeah. was okay. So, um, I like that my wife likes the Yankees, so our son is like. He's going to be a Yankee fan unless the Expos come back, and then yeah. dad, dad's going to shift him <laughs> over. But, um, yeah, Vladdy signed that in 2018 when he got inducted to the Hall of Fame. That's pretty You can cool. see, like, kind of the yeah. down below. And uh, love him. I mean, like, to me, I grew up watching the Expos. Absolutely love Montreal Expos. And they left in 2004. And I was like, I was yeah. a little guy at the time. And we would go, all, I mean, I knew everything about baseball. The moment they left, my baseball went, and my interests yeah. just tanked. And... A lot of it had to do with just that I couldn't see them, and I was kind of yeah. like a depressed kid. I never got on the Washington Nationals train. Yeah. Like they won it last year, still to me doesn't feel like the Expos won it. It was like the it was like a totally different franchise. So even though they were the same franchise, I mean Expos turned into them. But like uh, my my prime was Sammy Sosa, Mark yeah, McGuire like when they were battling the, the home runs like that. I remember that. Like well, Sammy's a Dominican Republic, right? Yes, he yeah. is. Um, and then Derek Jeter and. And A-Rod, like that whole click. That was like my prime time when I was super, super into it. Yeah, we're, we're, yeah, same thing. Ni- 98, I used to watch. I were just watching games, and you would watch either the Cardinals or the Cubs mm-hmm. to watch those guys hit home runs. And it was funny because like they were hitting home run every third game at least. Seriously, yeah. It was so cool to watch. And a couple games, they'd have two home runs. Mm-hmm. You're going crazy. And uh, luckily, I saw both those guys play. I saw mm-hmm. McGuire in 98, and um, I saw 97. I saw him the year before. And then I saw them throughout because they always, they're a national league, so we, the Expos played them. So they'd always end up playing them once a year. So I saw them a couple times. I actually saw Sammy Sosa. My clearest memory of Sammy Sosa, my clearest memory of Mark McGuire is he hit a, pop, a pop-up ball and it hit the ceiling at the Expos stadium. I remember meaning, that. I mean, I don't yeah. know how high up it is, but it hit and they had to call yeah. it a dead ball. Yeah. Um, so I think he was automa- I don't know, automatically out or the re- I don't know. It was a weird situation. Sammy Sosa, great baseball player. I forgot who it was. I think it was Rondell White back then. I think it was Rondell White. He hit the ball. Sammy Sosa playing right field. Mm-hmm. Went down to trap it. And he did one of those where you kind of like go on your side, put your knee up, and you kind of just put your glove down. And he pulled the glove up a split second too early and went through his legs, rolled and hit the back wall. So by the time he ran through it in, he had an in, in the park home run. Luck, I mean, that was probably one of the worst plays of his career, and I saw it, but um, I think it was Rondell White, who's another great Expo player, ended up scoring, and it was just like, of course, in, in the park home run, you're like, ah, like yeah. it, that doesn't happen often. So, um, But even in sports, that gives you the same type of performance vibe. 100%. For sure. It's just a different lane, but it's the same same type of vibe. One of the... Th- I've never been... Dancing, actually, I'll, I'll be honest, if I can... Like, uh, was it, so you think you can dance those like TV yeah. shows when you watch like people that can dance or the groups that dance. Uh-huh. I love watching people that can dance. I cannot dance, <laughs> but if I can watch like the either single people, like you have like, a, I guess a couple or one person dance or a group of people dance. It's absolutely incredible. Yeah. The way people can move. I think dancing is one of the most impressive things when someone can really like, they just really have control of their body and then music again, 
absolutely love music. Love live music. Love watching music. I watch music on YouTube a lot. Mm-hmm. Like the people that I, I just like watch performances, and I don't yeah. know why, but um, I'm not a very good musician. I played. I played French horn up until ninth grade. Okay. Wasn't good at it. Like when I say that, I never put any time into it. Um, yeah. And then I started dabbling in guitar in college, got away from it for like eight to 10 years and just kind of started picking it back up within the year. Uh, but not, again, not as consistent as it would like yeah. to be. But music's incredible. I think, like obviously you grew up like playing music, but. Uh, and it started young. Like my, I could just, my dad was the type of person where when he'd be home from work, on Saturdays around like lunchtime to the point where it's obnoxiously loud, but he just cranks his music Mm -hmm. and it varied from the Spanish music to he would play all kinds. He would play, you know, hard rock and roll. He would play like U2. He would play Kiss. He would play, he, I'll never forget the day he was like tragic kingdom. No doubt this girl could, could sing like he just is super super eclectic mm-hmm. and that's what started and then he had these little instruments at home so in spanish it's called the guira so i learned how to play that and so it was just always immersed so i didn't necessarily like study it to be a musician like my my really good friend my current roommate he's a music teacher mm-hmm. you know and but i didn't study theory and, and learn all the instruments but it was just embedded around me mm-hmm. and so you don't have to be trained in it to be good at it yeah, just play play by ear. Yeah, There's so many people that play by ear, and it's yeah. incredible. Um, so, how did you get into, like, well, obviously teaching, you met or the education field. Like, did you go to college wanting to do that? Was that something, or did you find out when you went to college? I I went to school wanting to be a teacher. Mm-hmm. I, for a second, I wanted to be. When I was younger, I wanted to do computers. Like, I wanted to be a. Uh, into all that creating games and apps and and coding and stuff but it just changed my mind then i just got immersed into the music program i was like oh man i could be a music teacher but then i just got into teaching just because i just had um i grew up in a school district at the time um that was uh not the worst but it definitely wasn't the best Mm -hmm. um and so it's just it was a culture and an atmosphere that was very urban um, which I loved. It gave, it gave me the tough skin and it gave me the, the persona I needed to be doing what I'm doing now. Um, but I just had, and in those environments, when you find teachers that impact you, it's big, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, so I just had the right teachers that kind of impacted me in a certain way that I wanted to be a teacher. Um, and I thought I'd be good at it. So, and then to me, I was like, well, if I go to school to be a teacher and then tap into the music thing, if that doesn't work, I'd be a teacher and I'd be able to start working. Um, and that's how I went. I went in as a teacher, but I struggled in school bad. I struggled really, really bad. Was it learning? I mean, was it like, was it like doing the work or was it just like the learning curve? And just it was actually- doing the work. I wasn't like the partier type. Like I, you know, I'd have my fair share just like anybody else who goes to college, but that really wasn't my scene. I was just not prepared. And that's what made me want to go into teaching was like, I didn't, clearly I wasn't ready for college, but everybody says that's the way you have to go that's the next step that's Mm -hmm. the next step um but i just wasn't ready so i didn't know how to study Mm -hmm. like i didn't know what retaining information studying and like putting it out without it being so guided to me at the time so i just really struggled with that my first semester jesus if you look at my transcript i'd like never want to show that to anyone (laughs) (laughs) but you see i like i got 
academic probation my first semester. I got kicked out my major two to three times because I didn't have the GPA to Same sustain. Same major? Yep. Wow. Yep. I, I, twice. Um, you know, GPA wasn't high enough, so I got kicked out. So I had to redo classes. And I got back in. I got the GPA. And then the same thing. No, GPA is not high enough. So I had to retake stuff. So I got kicked out twice. But someone probably said, why didn't you change your major? I was like, I didn't want to. Mm-hmm. Like, I just, something just told me. I just had something that said, no, you got to keep doing it. Was it always special education? No, it was just general ed. Special okay. education happened by accident. Um, and it was the best accident that ever happened to me. So, so do you find... I mean, was there any tie-in with special education tying in with potentially your, you know, struggle learning or struggle, I say learning, but struggle like kind of adapting or retaining information? Did you find like, because obviously special education is it's kids that, you know, whether they, you know, whether it's behind in learning mm-hmm. or whether it's, you know, or it could just be, you know, behavioral or stuff. But I, it's, I don't know because I've questioned that because I've yeah. never been diagnosed with having anything like a learning disability or dyslexia or anything like that. But... As I've learned and immersed in the field, I'm like, I clearly had some type of glitch with what was being presented to me and how I retained it and connected the dots. Like I struggled with connecting the dots to concepts. Um, but then I just had to figure out, you know, how to maneuver around it. Well, I, because th- I, I think there's times that, and I think it's self-conscious. You don't think of it. I think it's just like Mm-mm. maybe it's just for some reason you were pulled into that, but you probably found something within that field maybe dragged you into it and that's why kind of going to you know you know again special education at cves versus going to different schools you know you're going what um, started what started it was um it stems from struggling with grades mm -hmm. so the day the morning of my undergrad I finally got the grades got put out and I found out that I got my GPA to a 3.0. So when I got that that morning of graduation, immediately I was like, boom, I'm applying for the special ed master's program because it was a literacy one that the GPA was just a little bit lower. But at the time, it was like drilled in my head. You'll always have a job in special ed. There's no jobs right now, but special ed, you'll always have a job just because it's a tough field and not a lot of people can like to go into it mm-hmm. so in my mind i was like i've never done special ed but i'm gonna go get my special ed because that's gonna make me more marketable mm-hmm. so that's how it it started then i got into special ed at the same time i had a friend of mine my life was a mess at the time <laughs> i decided to stay the summer in potsdam the job that i had didn't fall through so for a two-week window i was dirt broke and poor like i experienced like not having money for food for two weeks like this and i was just about to call my parents be like i can't do it i gotta come home and my friend was like no apply for both he's over here apply for this apply for this i get you in as a ta so i got this is in potsdam in potsdam had an interview and that's where i met my mentor Mm -hmm. um interview for a teaching assistant position down there and so i got in and I was a TA full-time during the day and then did my master's program full-time in the afternoons, which was an insane schedule. It was grind. But with how I know how I... It was perfect for me because everything I was learning in school, I was applying it hands-on in the classroom during the day. So that connecting the dots thing was synced up because I was doing it. So that's what got me. And then the TA position I was in was uh, in the autism program, working with the kids in an ABA program. So that's how I got con- involved in 
in special ed and then this program i was in with the kids with autism i had never seen anything like it before you know they didn't show, teach you this in school it was a whole different world of how to teach these high level need of kids like i mean some aggressive kids nonverbal kids and mm -hmm. i'm wearing jean jackets i'm wearing you know protective equipment you know to really help these kids out with their so it, it at first you become scared of it but then once you get to know these kids they get into your heart right here. They tug at you, and then you just really want to do your best to make make them do better. And that's how it just went from there. Do you think it's almost like a parenting instinct a little bit? Kind of. I don't have kids, the, but yeah. The, the way. So when I had my my son's two and a half years old. So when I first had my son, like it's it just felt like I like don't get me wrong. I like like kids, but it wasn't like I, I think I I just yeah. I don't really gravitate towards kids that aren't my kids, mm -hmm. really. It's just, but as soon as I had, like, a kid, it was like, holy crap. Like, it just, there's almost, like, something biologically that just, like, switches in your head that, like, I have a kid. And, like, for some reason, now I can be a parent. Yeah. And I know it's weird, but I, there's a, there was, like, a, it was a weird feeling. But I actually felt the moment where it was, like, I'm now at the level where I'm, like, I'm I'm not a kid. Any, or, like, I'm responsible for somebody else. Yeah. And I just, it, whatever it is, I don't know, just like, it's like a weird thing to explain, but it just kind of hits you. Like now you're responsible for this person. Now everything you do, most decisions that you make are for this, this little person that yeah. literally, and I remember looking, and I'll tie this back in, but like, I remember looking at my son and kind of being, thinking in my head, like this person, this little, little creature has absolutely has no, like is a hundred percent reliable on me. Meaning everything mm -hmm. that's like involving, you know, this baby to live or survive or grow is a hundred percent on me. And I, not, not in the sense of like, don't forget him in the car kind of thing, but just in the sense of like everything you do, decisions you make me like making decisions personally for myself is going to affect this child. And it was a weird experience. I mean, not an experience that you were scared of. It's just kind of like an experience like, okay, now I'm ready to do this. And I fully yeah. understand and it's it's not i mean it's obviously not fully the same but i think you get to the point where it parallels it for sure. parallels yeah you, absolutely like you look at it this obviously it's not your child but you're you're responsible in a i would say in a very significant way for this mm -hmm. child um meaning and even some of these kids you know as you might know or i would say might know you definitely know some of these kids don't have the best home life so then when mm -hmm. they come to see you you're almost depending on how their home life is are probably a better you know, parenting figure than some of the parents, some of the kids, unfortunately they have when they go back home. So I would think that you guys, at least from teachers, I don't have a huge impact. Like I have some teachers that I had mm -hmm. in school that still to this day, I'm like, I remember they said this or did that. And it's just crazy. The impact they have on you in very formative years for kids. Cause they're really yeah. growing and finding out who they are. So, I mean, do you think that has tapped in a little bit? Absolutely. I think that experience parallels because I don't have children yet. Um, and that experience definitely parallels for sure. My sister has two little ones now. Um, you know, one's four, the other's three. Mm -hmm. um, and I saw that happen to her. I saw that, you know, because right when that happened, she was in the midst of her music stuff. So when that happened, you just, just a mom mode kicked in. Mm -hmm. So she's not doing it anymore. And mm -hmm. now she's got a whole nother path. Mm -hmm. um, so it definitely, definitely parallels. And, you know, let's be real. People who go into teaching, they don't go in for, to get paid. Mm -hmm. They go in because they... Ideally, they want to make an impact. Yeah, you know, and uh, like I, I, it was funny because when I went to um, college, I had my mom was a teacher for thirty something years. And my dad did real estate, 
And I remember going in, I actually wanted to be a teacher almost up to the point where I graduated, meaning mm-hmm. like probably like my senior year, I kind of shifted focus. And I went to college actually undecided because I was, I didn't know which path I would go down. I ended yeah. up going into more of a business field. Um, but I ended up, it's kind of funny because it's kind of going full circle. I ended up te- uh, coaching um, soccer for eight years, which allowed me to have access to the students, but I still could teach them something. It wasn't academics, but it was sports, but I still had the opportunity to try to show them something. And now I look at our office. Um, we have a lot of agents that are younger than me. And mm-hmm. I really look at myself as looking at some of these agents here that are almost 10 years younger than me as a teaching moment to show mm-hmm. them, okay, even though it's not academically in school, you're still learning a skill and, and how to apply it. I think so it's I've kind of scratched the itch a little bit of the teaching because I like yeah. I like the giving back aspect and I think that's what teachers are really good at is they you know they can um, you know they have the impact they definitely again don't do it for the money I think it's one of the fields that gets paid the least for the impact they have on kids mm-hmm. um, but it's yeah I mean it's it's incredible I think just your your impact I think is going to go for a lot of these kids last a long time you know and that's the is, goal that's the goal and for me personally it's to I realize I'm good with people. I have good people skills. I was a good teacher. I had the right people in my corner at the right time. And clearly it's working for me. So I want to take this momentum and and bring it to a home that I haven't figured out yet what that other level is, but I'm going to do it. I just have to, you know, take what I've seen, what I'm learning, what I'm good at, what I need to get better at, and just how can I take the impact that I'm making now at a smaller scale with before it was just a classroom now it's an entire division of a school and how can i grow that impact to an even bigger platform to make some type of change when because you you so we we talked when probably back a couple months ago was it this year i mean it was definitely before covid was it the winter of this year yeah it was in the winter it was in the winter i want to say it was right before the new year okay i was gonna say i thought it was just at the end of last year and i remember you you had spoken about using the impact of, because I'm curious to see what your, when did you start, when did you start thinking that? Because you're 32 now, you, you've been basically in the education industry for a solid 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, when did you start thinking, I want to go from my everyday job, going to, you know, going to work, teaching, mm-hmm. leaving, you know, nine to five or whatever that might be, or, or eight to four to now I want to impact more and go more and more and more. Because yeah. you had mentioned that. What what was the spark for that, you think? When did that happen? Uh, where do you think you are maybe on that timeline of what you want to accomplish? I think for me personally, it started when I was a kid. I had to, I had this huge epiphany last, it was last year I had a major like life epiphany, which was like understanding why I did why am I so eager to do so well? And it stemmed from childhood things, you know, wanting to prove to my parents that they, you know, you got a good kid. Mm-hmm. Um, so it stems from there. And then I've always been the type, once I've figured out my stuff with school and realized that I was good at it and well, can figure out how to study and do what I needed to do, then once I find that once I get like stagnant, I itch for something else and I'm not the type to stay there and get comfortable. When I get comfortable, that's when things start to go awry. Like I'm recently having that epiphany now. I've been in this for four years now and I need something else to kind of shake up what I'm doing. And COVID has definitely forced me to do that. Think about it. Um, 
for what I'm trying to do, what I like to see myself doing, what started it was in Potsdam, the director of special education at the time, he, he, he saw something in me. He liked what I was doing. He liked what I was exposed to. And he just took the time, extra attention to detail with me and just said, hey, I want, I want you to do some presentations for me. He brought me to Trinidad. He brought me to Trinidad and Tobago. I did a workshop at a special ed school in Trinidad. Trinidad and Tobago. That, that's South, is it Central It's in the America? Caribbean. Yeah. Okay. In the so Caribbean. Down. And, you know, he, I went and I did an a, a all-day professional development workshop. But he helped me. He helped me take what I have always seen people do. And now I'm going to do it. And he kind of helped finesse it for me. And then he helped me again two years later when I first came to Plattsburgh. That first year I was here... That February, he brought me back to Trinidad for this huge, is the International Conference of Inclusion at the time down there. And I did a three-hour workshop. I did two of them while I was there. Um, and he prepped me. And, and at that time, I was better at the public speaking thing because I had gotten a taste of it before. And then just start to, you know, with going to school. And since then, I have had an itch. That's what gave me the taste of it. And I wanted more. And then my my need to want more then led me to realize I think this is what I'm the lane I need to go in so then you just start paying attention to things differently so now when guest speakers or we have people come at conferences like you don't just listen to the content and now I'm like okay how is how's this powerpoint like he's got a book out how long did it take him to write that book who published that book for him what's his social media page like what's this what's that you just start looking at things differently and not everybody does that, but for me, that's what I started to pay attention to. And then there's a few people that I saw that I really liked, but I'm like, I could do the same thing, but better. I just don't know how to. I got to learn how to. And then you just start following, tapping into people, and then just, I've always been like that. Once I'm into something, I need something else. For me, once I was a teacher, something else was get your admin degree. And But now that I'm at, and at the time, I never thought... It changes when you do something you never thought that you could, because then it opens the door like, well, wait a minute. I never thought I could do this. Well, damn, now that I'm here, what else can I do? Because I never thought I would do something like this. I've had this like low self-esteem for a really long time. So for me to be doing what I'm doing now, if you'd have met me 10 years ago, I guarantee you, you would have never thought that this is what I'd be doing. Never. So now that that door has opened, I'm like, well, what other doors can I open now? I can do it. So it, it, it's also that self-confidence piece. <laughs> So everything you just said, this is why I'm kind of going to ask you about it. Everything you just said parallels everything I've done. We're very similar. We're almost the same age. I think mm -hmm. we had, and this is when we talked last, last year. This is why like a lot of stuff you said clicked with me. You know, we kind of didn't know what we wanted to do. We got into our field. We did our field, whatever. And like you said, five, five years ago, 10 years ago, you had oh, this totally different person. I was the same way. Um, and I found that over, I've had to take 10 years to learn because you need the experience, you mm -hmm. need the ups and downs, you need the revelations and the, the ahas and like, the, oh, wow, okay, now I understand what I'm doing. I mean, I was kind of like you, like I got, you got into special education because it was more marketable to get a job. I got into real estate because I didn't want to work at my ice cream stand job because I didn't want to be stuck inside when it was nice out in the summer. Mm -hmm. I wanted to make my own schedule. And then I'm like, well, I can work less time and make more money yeah. at the time as a college kid doing real estate. So neither of us really got in 
for like a bigger purpose. It was just more of like how to make ends meet yeah. at a young age. And then, which is like, it took me, I, I just had this conversation an hour, hour and a half ago with Hannah here. I brought up all my, my production level with, with sales and I'm like, listen, Hannah, I've had one dip in my, in 10 years, meaning yeah. every year I've sold more. It was 2015. I dipped slightly, not much, but slightly. And then it kind of lit a fire in me. I'm like, that's not who I am. Like, I'm not someone to just coast and get worse. Like, I'm always like you. Like, what's the next step? Mm-hmm. What's, what can I expand and do and grow and everything? So since 2016 to now, so you're talking five years, I was just like, okay, now we're, now we're going to buckle up and go. Yeah. And I've gone like this. Part of that was kind of what you said. I, I, I finally switched to like, I'm going to start acting like myself. You flip your lens. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Good, good, good wording. Yes. Flip my lens. And I was very, um, I, I was, con- I was putting, I say parameters. I was like boxing myself in. Mm-hmm. And I was boxing myself in in personality, in the way I was, my confidence level, like you said. Some of this, it was, my confidence had to grow just naturally because of experience and years mm-hmm. and, and finally growing up. And I think the funny thing is I correlate to 25. 25 is when your brain fully develops. And I found that really at 25, my mind just like got more clear. And I don't know if it's really true. I just kind of yeah. just like bro science on it. But, <laughs> but it's the idea that... Things started to align at 25 for me, like mentally, like a, mm-hmm. like pers- or uh, vision wise, and then everything I've done up to this point over the last four, four or five years, I've been following pretty much my like north star, basically what I'm kind of visualizing going forward over the next handful of years, and things are starting to happen as I'm kind of vision, as I was envisioning it, or but even quicker. Yeah, and then a couple years ago. I went from just like you said, how, okay, I'm doing better. I'm personally getting better, but how, but, and I realize I'm getting better and I'm realizing I have, um, I, I realize that I'm lucky to do what I'm doing, be in the mindset I'm doing, having this, learning the skills, or at least, you know, recognizing an opportunity in front of me and learning from it and, and, and having the awareness to learn stuff, Yeah, which is what sounds like it's happening to you. Mm Mm-hmm. And then I've really found over the last two years, I'm like, okay, now I'm not going to focus on Galen. Now, how do I focus on more people? And I've already, I've kind of broken it down. If you take like a bullseye, like me yeah. and the bullseye, but the opposite, going out. Like, yeah. then it's like, okay, how can I affect our office? And I've really focused on, because now I can affect more people. Mm-hmm. And, we, and we've done some stuff within our office and our office has grown over the last couple of years because I put a focus on, okay, I need... To accomplish what I want to accomplish, I need to accomplish it with more people. Meaning, I just yeah. I can't do it with me. I need, I need like, I need a group of people. I need a team. I need like just everybody kind of rowing in the right direction, both within our company and within our community. Meaning, I've tapped into a lot of um, peers and friends locally, and I say peers. Peers is really like a thirty-year age group. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? But. Um, but stuff that I want to accomplish because I want to grow from our company to our our. Area yeah. and then I don't know beyond potentially, but really mm-hmm. it's like our, our greater you know North Country area um, in the business realm. But you're saying the same thing. We parallel so much, but we're going down to kind of two different branches. Yeah, but you almost think that you're like you're going in two different branches. But it's almost like did you ever watch Game of Thrones? Yes. 
like you know everything Game of Thrones. Everybody's just kind of working yes, towards getting that big yes, fight. Yes. And I almost find like we're both like two people like fighting on the same we're side, but like we're fight. both like ready yeah. to like take out King's Landing kind <laughs> yeah. of deal. But we're like coming from different parts, yeah. and if I, I find that like there's a lot of people doing that mm-hmm. locally, but it's cool because you're one of the only people. I say only. Really, one of the only people I know within the education field, and I'm sure you know more people being in the field, but people that are really doing stuff for, like, obviously, you know, to make ends meet in the sense of, of a living, but you're you're doing it, okay, how do I affect the kids? How do I affect the school system? How do I affect, mm-hmm. how do I change the school system to better affect our area or our state or, or nationally or worldly, you know, from things that we're teaching kids or the way we're teaching kids or... Um, or even just like having the patience to work with people mm-hmm. that it's like, cause we talked about it. Like you, yeah. you've said there's things that you want to happen now, but you got to be patient because it's not the right time. Yep. The right plan, not the right time. Mm-hmm. So, um, Th- I, I, no, there's I, a, I, there's a certain level of like, cause what you, you have to, I like that analogy you just use of like starting in and working your way out. Cause you have to know, you have to identify yourself first and like what you talked about, it, it comes again in cycles too, you know, because that's what my next podcast topic is going to be. And it's reinvesting into yourself because you can make an investment into yourself. Boom. You hit the milestone that you wanted to make. But then over time, you have you just have to constantly reinvest into yourself, which is what you've been doing so that you can continue to grow and do what you have to do. But catching yourself because it's very easy to fall into that life trap of being stagnant and being comfortable, you know, and that reinvesting in yourself outside of your, you know, for your career and profession also involves your personal life too. You know, who you surround yourself with, you know, those type of elements you have to pay attention to so that you can continue to reinvest into your craft, whatever that is, and and continue to grow. So I've met a lot of people over the last four to five years. Every year the people get better, meaning, Mm -hmm. and I think this naturally happens, it's just that you start filtering out people not, and I don't say in a bad way. It's just you, you align better with certain people. And mm-hmm. I think at times people come into your life that are very similar to you. It's kind of like the was it reticular activator. You're looking for – I'm a very positive person, upbeat person. I'm very yeah. optimistic on a lot of things. And I find that naturally I'm attracted to people that are like that and vice versa. And you end up kind of like picking each other out of a crowd when you don't know it yet. But whatever it is, it, it could be uh, – mm-hmm. I don't even know if it's like a sixth sense. You almost feel it from somebody, even though you can't can't pinpoint it. But you're like, I like. That was when you talked to me. I'm like, I like this, like, like this kid. I like this guy yeah. because it's just it's the idea that like stuff you were saying was like really tapping on the same things that I'm I'm always thinking of in the back of my head. And it's like, yeah. So there's, I always enjoy talking to people that you can tell they have a passion for for something bigger than themselves. But mm-hmm. also, I just like the idea of just betterment like you're just yeah. and it doesn't it doesn't mean you have to move mountains but it's like every day you just get a little bit better and like one percent better or yeah it's it, it's a vibe like I, I use the word vibes all the time and and so you when you walk into a room you know the type of people you're drawn to there's a vibe there's an energy that they have that 
and it's not always looks you know there's some there's just a presence that they have and you can feel it you know i've learned that sometimes i have that i'm learning when i walk into certain rooms i have a bit of a presence now that i Mm -hmm. maybe i had it before i just didn't know but i'm starting to pay attention to it and now that i can pay attention to it now i'm going to use it the way that i need to use it but there's a certain vibe and energy that you find that you attract yourself with and i'm currently you know i'm 32 i'm currently realizing a lot of transitions are happening around my inner circle of really really close friends a lot of folks are having kids a lot of folks are this and you know i'm having combos like you gotta switch up who you're hanging out with you know Mm -hmm. It's, it's hard. It might not be the, you know, maybe challenging, but if this is what you're trying to do, you got to surround yourself with people that are going to help you to get there. Um, but it's definitely a vibe. I use that word all the time because to me, it's, you know, when you're in a bad mood, you give off that vibe. And when you're in a bad mood all the time, you, people don't want to be around you. And if you are in a bad mood all the time, the type of people you're going to attract are the people that are going to keep you in that bad mood all the time. And then what? it's a ripple effect of things that's going to happen. So it's very cliche. You get what you put out. But it's so true. You know, if you come into a space, you know, everyone's entitled to have their off moments for sure. But if you have a certain vibe and energy you put out, you're going to get that back. I mean, I, there's, I, mean, I definitely have, like, negative moments. But they're not as... They're not as frequent. At least I don't mm-hmm. recognize them as frequent. And I'm, I'm I've ta- I was talking to, um, I think it was when Anna was on a few, a couple weeks ago. We, I have a weird, I have a weird, like, we talk about like self-awareness of your, of your, like the way you act and things. Mm-hmm. Like I can almost look down on my, like look down on my life and be almost like I'm watching as like a spectator of my life which is weird because you're in your life but then I can also almost like step away from myself and just and crit- I say critique but like oh I do that all the time like, I'm, I'm my own Dr. Phil yeah I, is that, is that it, the it's weird it's a weird thing but it's I, I mean it's almost like I can pinpoint I'm like you made a dumb decision there like fix that mm-hmm. change this or hey your attitude was bad and there's a lot of times I'm almost coaching myself from mm-hmm. like almost like a third person distant mm-hmm. where I'm like looking down and being like assessing the situation but putting me as a character in that situation and saying okay th- you got to do this or that or that you could have handled it a better yeah. way so essentially what you're doing like when you're teaching you're te- you want to teach kids how to self-reflect you want to teach kids how to self you know do things within themselves and have that inner self to make decisions and help motivate and have that inner motivation and that's essentially what you have is you have a you have a self-awareness that allows you to remove yourself from a situation look at it very because i do the same thing if anything my family and friends would be like stop dr filming me i didn't pay for a life coach today i'm like good because i should start charging you know uh but it's those type of things that that's that's what it is you you just are you have that i have it too it's weird but you but you i mean you know when you're doing it right absolutely yeah it's weird i totally do my friends would tell me stop it you know, but all right, you're right. You didn't ask for a life coach right now. You didn't ask for counseling. or And I don't even realize I'm doing it. I've just, I've watched certain things and I've saved certain things for, even for myself when I'm, when I'm in a moment, I go back to certain things that I remember. Like there's, there's one video in particular that I will always watch when I'm having a moment. Um, and it's Oprah, but I watch it all the time. But I watch certain things and I so I started with a TV show. It's called Iyanla Fix My Life. And it's a TV Yo, show. What is it? It's called Iyanla. That's her name. Elon? Iyanla. Iyanla. Okay. Yeah. And she is a therapist, 
uh, goo, like, but the way she goes in to some really deep issues and she the way she would go into these deep rooted issues and then bring them to the forefront to help people like really touch on it and to better the and I mean crazy situations but I would watch how she for some reason that show appealed to me and I think it's because I had a lot of things growing up that were just really hard so it forced me to be like oh I can use that concept within myself well you know I'm having issues here I've had issues with you know this and so I've learned through that and you just do your own self-work I did a lot of my own self-work self to get through those things that were holding me down you know realizing I'm you know I'm a classic case I present strong strong-minded this but I'm a gushy mess on the inside but I had to figure out why is that you know and so the one video in particular that I always refer to and it's Oprah and she was doing an interview like sitting down on a couch um she's got big curly hair and she's just talking about her her life situation but the biggest message I got out of it was you know there is no mistakes you know a mistake is meant to remind you to get onto a different lane to bump you back on track. But your yeah. still your life is still going to that one end goal. No matter which lane you're in, your your life is still moving in this direction. So the the message I got out of it was when you're feeling flustered or when you're feeling overwhelmed, like when you're feeling like oh, oh and I just had this feeling not that long ago. You know, and I watched that video again. This was like three weeks ago I watched the video again. But when you're feeling like that, that's the that's the sign. That's your cue. Pay attention to it. And that's the problem. People don't pay attention to the cues that are around them to make them be like, hey, wait a minute, I got to make a change. Mm-hmm. And that's the hard part for people to do. Um, but that self-work, inner work, whatever that is for folks, is game-changing. And for me, it's been very helpful because it's allowed me to have the confidence that I have even when I'm not feeling confident to ha- you know, perform in a way where I have the confidence to continue to do the job that I want to do and maintain good relationships with people. Because that's the other big thing. You, I have this big message to people, and it's really cool. I'm now in a position where I'm telling younger kids what to do that, you know, it's just, you know, you have these moments where I'm like, aha moments, like, wow, I'm, now I'm doing what was done to me. Do, do you find that you're you're becoming the voice or the mentor that you wish you had at their age a little bit? Yeah, I think so. Because I had it, thankfully. I had the mentors, you know, at the right time. But I'm definitely doing what they did to me, but my version of that to other people. Um, You know, one message, one thing I talk about all the time is, especially in your professional setting, like you never want to leave a bad taste in anybody's mouth, no matter what the interaction is, no matter what it looks like, even if it's just a high and by, or you have this, or when, especially when you disagree on something, there's a way you can act. There's a way you can deliver. Like I'm, I'm Dominican from New York, New York city. We we're extra, you know, just like, you know, we're loud mouth. I'm used to, you know, hands. rah, 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 hands, yep. hands, hands. Like you can't act like that. You're not going to keep a job if you act like that. So there's a way you can still communicate with people that is effective where you can disagree, but they never have a bad taste in their mouth. And the reason for me why that's important is because I'm seeing it now. Uh, There's been situations that have happened to me where I'm like, okay, so when something comes around later, remember you did that because that's going to hurt you. Um, 
And that's what happens. You know, you never want to leave a bad taste in anyone because you never know when you're going to need them or who they know, or who they're going to talk to that may or may not mess up something you're trying to do later. We have a real estate's a really, really weird industry in the mm-hmm. sense that there's offices, offices have agents and they're your coworkers. Well, other offices are also your coworkers because the way real estate, there's two sides, buying and selling. Mm-hmm. It's like attorneys. Like if you go to like court, like you kind of got to work with yeah. the other people, the other attorneys. So we, um, other agents, I, obviously we have our agents that are here and they, to me, take more precedence and care and love and everything else because they're, you know, I'm responsible or I, I at least I feel responsible to help them grow and, and get better. I don't have a necessary vested interest in other agents getting better because we're not here. It's just, yeah. I, I mean, I hope they all get better. You know, yeah, it's yeah. just, um, you know, time and energy. But if I'm working with another agent that's not in our company, I look at them as a coworker. So even though they're not here, I treat them this, with the same amount of respect with everything. Mm-hmm. And I found that I've had a good relationship with a lot of agents. Um, most of the agents, I would say, would say the same back to me. There's probably a few that disagree, but... If I'm doing everything with the right intent, um, and like you said, if if they uh, there's moments where I've had it the opposite way, where maybe an agent said something to me or did something to me, where I'm like, okay, that wasn't cool, or I would have handled yeah. that much differently. But I'm not going to react, overreact. I'm not going to react out of emotion. It is what it is. Maybe they said something kind of uh, was it called snarky or you know off yeah. the, you know knee jerk reaction or said something without knowing all the facts or whatever so i always give people the benefit of the doubt and hey maybe i'm missing something you know i don't want to i don't want to say you're wrong where mm-hmm. maybe i'm just overlooking something and then it comes back and then i look like you know the the guy that didn't do his homework or due diligence so for me i always give people the benefit of the doubt because again even if they say something to me that might kind of tick me off or maybe give me some put a bad taste in my mouth mm-hmm. about them i don't want to reciprocate that where they feel the same so if anything i know if we ever have a transaction to, to do again they're not going to look at me and say something like that guy did or said something negative where I could say the same about them, but I'm not like I'm, I got thick skin. I'm a, you yeah. know, I'm a big boy. I can get yeah, over yeah. little things like that, which again, I give the person the benefit of the doubt. So in the future, I look at it as we can still have a lot more wins mm-hmm. in our career together. Like agents outside my, our office that work at different companies. I mean, I'm going to be around for a long time. Like, I'm going to work with you every year, dozen or not dozens. I mean, multiple times every year. So we're probably going to have, you know, tens and or dozens of transactions going yeah. forward. Like, let's not like sour that relationship in 2020 when we're still going to be together in 2040. Exactly. It's important. It's totally important, and you have to have. And it's a skill that I'm finding is really hard for people to understand, which, which sometimes it blows my mind. But then sometimes I'm, I get it. Sometimes, but it's. You have to have that decent interaction. And, like, I'm, I'm in it now. As a principal administration, like, I didn't realize how much politics comes into play. And I also didn't realize, because I was just naive to it, because um, I was just focused in my little box of a classroom. But I'm a whole nother layer that's connected to the governor. Mm-hmm. Like, we, and so, you know, for example, this COVID stuff. Like, this is just... I'm attached to politics on a whole nother level, so I'm seeing how politics work. I may not necessarily like it, but I'm going to learn how to play it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to learn how to maneuver this political game of, of what's out there. Um, and it's not all bad. It's just the way that it is, you know? I Thankfully, I work with some great people, so 
I'm very fortunate in that sense. And they mentor me and I learn a lot and I see things, but I also pay attention to things and I see how things operate. Um, and that's how you learn. That's a street smart thing, though. I learned that from home. I learned that with interacting with people. I know when, okay, I'm not going to say nothing right now, but I'm just put that in my back pocket and pay attention because something's going to come around later and then karma's going to do its thing. And I don't have to do anything. And guess what? I didn't react in a way that made me look like I was crazy. I didn't say nothing, do anything to, I didn't, you know, I didn't put my hand on anybody. Like mm-hmm. the, the, the energy that was put out came back and did what it needed to do. I, I'm, I'm such a believer in karma that anytime yeah. I see someone that this happens and there's few people out there that they act in a certain way. I mean, I won't say a word and I don't say a mm-hmm. thing. And same, like you said, I'm just going to tuck that away because I know what happened. I'll forgive, but I don't forget kind of thing. Like mm-hmm. I know what happened. I remember it. I have a very good, I think people, I'm one of those guys. I think I'd be very good at poker Yeah. because some people probably don't <laughs> think I know stuff and I'm, I'm very aware and I'm, I know a lot of what's going on, even though, though I may not say it. Yeah. Um, so it, it's kind of like, you know, when you're a kid and you have that, like, your dad or your friend's dad or something like that just kind of seems like they're oblivious, but they're not. Like, mm-hmm. they just don't say anything. Yeah. Kind of that. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I know what's going on, but I'm a big believer that I don't have to say a word. I don't have to... We have a weird system, too. Like, you self-police everybody. Yeah. So, like, if you do something that people think is wrong, they can, like, turn you into the board, and then it can be turned like, almost like a mm-hmm. little court case kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I've had my fair share of being turned into the board. I've never had anything come from it, but it's yeah. just, like, people accusing you of something. And it's always funny because, like you said, it's kind of like a political thing. It's kind of uh, they. They accuse without knowing or doing their homework or getting all their facts straight. Yeah. But what happens is I like okay, I'll forgive you. I, I but I know you did it, and I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to turn you in. Mm-hmm. You did because there's there's agents I've seen that have done stuff, and I'm like, okay, they can't do that. But I'm not in the I'm not in the business to tattletale, and I'm yeah. at the, I'm in the business that I'm like if they're doing something mm-hmm. that's shady or not with the right intent, karma karma yeah. is a real thing that will come back to bite them. And I don't really like you said I don't have to. I don't have to be the one that uh, that starts their demise. They kind of just self implode, yeah. And I'm just kind of there for the ride. So when they when they self implode, it's kind of like Mario Kart. Someone hit. Yep. You're just gonna get hit with a shell one day, and I'm just gonna yep. pass pass and you. Every time I, I just saw it happen the other day, and I'm like, I saw that coming, and yeah. I don't have to do anything. Yep. There, it there takes we care go. of itself. Yeah. Because you have to understand, and it goes back into like what I'm trying to do, is you know like you're a brand, you know. If you look at it through that lens, you know, anything that you do, you're a brand. And then now so with social media, now you definitely can be a brand. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just a matter of how, you know, people's perception of you. And that's it. People's perception of you. That's the key word. People don't need I, to know who you are anymore, which is unfortunate. It's a perception that can make or break you depending on how you operate. So two two things with that. I've, I'm very active on social media for mm-hmm. my business and everything else, but... I, I do look at it as, you know, it's brand or reputation. It's your reputation. I mean, at the end yeah. of the day, brand's the buzz, buzzword, but it's you're right. It's, you know, if you post something or say something or do something and it's going to paint me in a negative light, yeah. I don't I do not do it. Now, when I say that, I don't, I don't say that with, oh, then you're not telling your full story. You're just telling one side. You're not acting how you really are. It's like... No, I the stuff I put out is like me every day. Like I think I have a very authentic page. Like you're seeing me. Like I I would think yeah, that if you, you saw me in, do. yeah, like if you saw me here, if you saw me at a, like anywhere, you're gonna be like that's the same vibe. Like he doesn't mm-hmm. put on a uh, persona when he's with clients versus when he's yeah. with his friends. Where then 
And that's something that I did early in my career because I thought I had to like draw a line between my personal and professional business because I again I ten years ago it was way different than it is now. Yeah. And now I mean Instagram wasn't around. No. Nobody had a Facebook page. No. Like this was way early old school. And I I was the one that really I, I think. I don't say, was I the first person with a Facebook page? I don't know. I'm the first one to actually utilize the Facebook page and, and utilize an Instagram page. Like I, I would think at where it should mm-hmm. be. Um, it's because we're the generation that grew up with it. We're the last of the old way, and we are yes. grew up with the technology as it is where these kids now have it. I say it all the time when I'm doing speeches and stuff in schools. We're the last of that generation. I would say like the 25 to 35-year-old is kind of the, you, mm-hmm. you get that grouping, and may, maybe even probably high 20s to mm-hmm. maybe like 40 yeah. um, is kind of that range. And yeah, because we didn't grow up. I, I had a cell phone. I, re- I remember getting a cell phone in f- 10th grade, I think. I don't think I ever used it. I got a new one in 11th grade. I didn't act. I got it for Christmas. I didn't activate it till like three or four months yeah. later. And the only reason I did was because there was a girl that was talking to me at the time and she wanted to text <laughs> me. And I was like, I guess I'll put my phone on because I didn't need it. And then, I learned how to text watching American Idol because I wanted to vote for Kelly Clarkson. That was how I learned amazing. how to text message. That's amazing. You know? yeah. And that's how like it, it it just has grown. You know, Facebook started out with just college kids. You needed to have a college email account to have a Facebook, and now it's just. Well, so I got. Yes. Wait. I'll come back to to that. My where was I before with um with the social media I. I take a responsibility with my social media account mm-hmm. now because, and again, I don't have thousands of followers and I'm not an influencer. I, I would say I'm a local, like I would have, I, I wouldn't even say local, like a, a small, a locally small niche influencer, like very small, like not a lot of people, but the people that follow me, I think would look at my page and have some type of connection mm-hmm. to it. Um, and I have other friends they are like, to me, it would be like an influencer in my small circle. Yeah. So I think about that, that kind of like a very small level. Um, but I still take that as, you know, responsible or responsibility because I don't want to put something out where, and again, I don't, it's not that I really, I really don't self, self-assess my social media a lot because again, yeah. it's authentically who I am. Like I act a certain way. I'm overly positive. I'm yeah. one of those people. I'm very accepting of a lot of people. You won't see me have political arguments with people because I don't care enough about politics and I don't care about, I really don't care about my, I, I've always looked at politics like nobody cares my opinion and I don't mm-hmm. really care about anybody else's opinion. So yeah. like, I'm just not going to talk about it. So there, I don't really find any issues where I'm going to really have a, a hard, I mean, will I argue with somebody if I, if I have a really strong opinion on it? Sure. But you're talking like, real estate and like there's not a lot that i have a strong opinion on because i'm not an expert in a lot of yeah. things like the same thing for you like i'm not going to argue with you in education because you're going to blow me out of the water with that and but you could have a very a very educated conversation on education or things that you're passionate about where i'm not like politics i'm not there because i don't do enough mm-hmm. homework i don't watch mm-hmm. enough i don't you know to me yeah. it's just kind of a bunch of you know it's kind of a circus so i just kind of try to stay away from it but as you said before I realize politics. I realize, um, you know, like you said, COVID. I realize guidelines. I realize state government stuff. And I'll play within the rules and I'll, you know, but I adjust to it. So I don't mm-hmm. get down and I'm kind of the positive. Okay, yeah. well, here's the hand we're dealt. We'll make the best of it. And and it happens. You Like, you might be going down an avenue that works perfectly and that avenue eventually closes its doors. And like, okay, now I just got to readjust. It's almost yeah. like, you ever watch uh, Price is Right? Plinko? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember yeah. Plinko goes down? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like, like you said, life. You go down, you keep hitting those things and eventually yeah. you go down in the, yeah. the, the center slot there. 
you're still gonna you can still gonna hit that slot. It's just a matter of how you get there. Um, I'm 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 grown with social media. Um, I'm still trying to not figure out, but I'm very passionate. Sometimes too passionate, and I've learned to. <laughs> I've seen some of your rants on there. Yeah. I've learned to. I shouldn't have did that. Shouldn't have said that. But I just get really really passionate, and just because I, I'm just passionate about what I do and the lack of things that are happening and the lack of support and appreciation and resources and and like i'm i'm a big advocate advocate for the change that i want to see and 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 put some light to it but i still have myself i have to control myself from time to time because i get a little too carried away um but that's you learn you know you learn how to navigate that and thankfully i've encountered people in the the network of people that i'm in i had one person send me a message Hey, I really like what you posted, but you shouldn't say that. Take that down. This person has a huge following, got a book out, does all this stuff, blah, blah, blah. And he took it. I did his podcast a couple of weeks prior to that. Mm-hmm. But he took it upon himself to send me the message to kind of still coach me and be like, I know what you're trying to do. Don't do this. I've been there. It's not going to work for you. Oh, he's saying like, you're saying the right thing, but it's kind of the wrong way or wrong timing. Yeah, I just did the, I just dropped some some bomb words that I shouldn't have said. And just because I was just really passionate about something. He goes, when you said that, it just took away your message. So I'm still getting that coaching. Yeah, I'm still refining. getting that. And I'm still finessing it. Um, but I'm also, I'm an educator. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm an educator first. And I tell that to people all the time. And even as I see myself moving up in the in the field of education, like, that's where I started. I started because it's a big deal for me. Like it's a huge deal for me to have what I have because I'm in an area that's predominantly white, that is predominantly red for the most part, depending. I, you know, I, I don't, I, from what I've seen anyway. Um, and I've been given an opportunity, and that's the word. Opportunity has been given to me. And I had to take it because opportunities that came my way do not come to people where I'm from the way that it has come to me. Um, And that word opportunity is huge for me because that's my big advocacy is, you know, to get on the equal playing field, to get on the same, to have a voice at the table. You know, the Black Lives Matter movement, you know, and the, the riots that were happening just a few weeks ago, it came up at our admin convo and... I was able to have a voice at the table that have, would I was the only person of color, and I blend in pretty well because mm-hmm. I'm not, you know, you you, don't, you have to really know me to know. Um, but I was able to put that perspective to help folks understand certain things a little bit better without getting too nitty gritty. But just that concept in itself, I have a voice at the table. Mm-hmm. I have to model. I have a responsibility from where I come from and where my family comes from, and not just from New York, from the Dominican Republic, and that whole way of living down there i have i feel i have an obligation to to model and be an example like you can get yourself in a position where you can have a voice at the table and then when you're there you have an ethical responsibility to do the right thing Mm -hmm. it may not always be easy but you have to do the right thing yeah i I, the uh like the black lives matters campaign i thought was it was great you know i mean it's needed it was um i think done as a entire like a unit of people or a group like a I, I would say a very large percentage of mm-hmm. really the world because it, it started to go out more from the national to the global level um, I think was important and the 
the way I looked at it, again, we are we're not a very um, majority. Like you said, majority white. It's not um, it's not a very diverse area. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I grew up, you know, people of color in my school. Not many. I would say mm-hmm. you really had to look maybe one percent, um, and that was probably par for the course. The city um, school district, Plattsburgh, had you know I think yeah. a little bit more, but um, I mean I always just grew up accepting people, you know who they are. Like I don't, it doesn't. To me, it, I, I don't think twice about it. You know, it's not one where I look at you know someone who's black and think any different or less of them or anything. I mean, I just like people. I think it's kind of mm-hmm. cool. I love culture. That's why I was mm-hmm. asking like Dominican Republic. I like yeah. I like the music. Like. I love all that stuff. The, but again, I'm also one of those people that I'm fully aware that I'm a white, you know, a white guy living up in a very predominantly white area where even though I might think that stuff is, you know, I might think, okay, I get it. Like there's definitely injustice and there's definitely, you know, not a level playing field. I'll be honest, it's never really affected me. So a lot of the stuff, like I was just, I spent a lot of that time, I was off social media, not mm-hmm. from a standpoint of, I was off social media from a posting perspective, not from a consuming perspective. I look, I watched a lot of videos. I, I read yeah. a lot of, I read a lot of captions, mm-hmm. both good and bad, but it really was eye-opening to hear, because again, I, you know, I'm, I, I want to say naive to it, but I'm not exposed to it where I, I see it on a firsthand basis or even see it where it really pops up and it affects me, you know, mm-hmm. and it's kind of one where I'm just kind of an overly positive person. I try not to look at negatives, but I know, I know negatives exist. So it was always, it was a good eye opener to look at. And it wasn't just because I, pr- perfect example, when they talk about um, real estate there, I don't know the, I'm going to have this timeline off a little bit, dates <laughs> off and all this stuff. Again, I'm not, I'm not photographic okay. memory, but there was a certain point in time in our history that, you know, Black people were not able to get loans or buy in certain locations for homes. Redlining. That's it. Redlining. Perfect. Thank you. So mm-hmm. the, the so then I look at in our own industry where you could think, well, hey, that doesn't matter. That was 70, 80 years ago. But think about this. That's only one or two generations ago. Mm-hmm. So when you talk about one or two generations ago, when you think about real estate, think about, think about lakefront property. Yeah. Lakefront property is very high. Think in the city, okay, New York City where you grew up. Like there's a lot of places that were higher-end homes and locations. They were probably all snatched up in the early 1900s, late 1800s before, you know, black people could not or people of color could not purchase those homes. Mm -hmm. So what happened? Those homes stayed with those people. The appreciation, the value Mm -hmm. of everything went up. They turned into the... Uh, the projects or the ghettos that were primarily because I I learned this is something I learned that you know redlining you know ethnic groups were forced into those locations well what happened was when they got forced into those locations they weren't able to get the jobs to buy those homes so most of these these places that again real estate's a long term Mm -hmm. wealth uh, wealth driver so you take I'm just going to say hypothetically the 1940s, 50s, and 60s, maybe 70s, like that, yeah. just that ballpark, you know, with um, civil rights and all that. Yeah. You're talking a time a time period where there wasn't a level playing field to buy a long-term investment that things are paying off now mm-hmm. that was never given back then. I never knew this. Like this is something mm-hmm. in my head. I'm just like, eh, yeah. just, you don't think about this. And now you realize it didn't it, affect it didn't affect, affect you. Well, it, it didn't. It, it didn't. It didn't affect my inner circle. It didn't affect. Um, it, it it directly affects 
the it directly affects our generation but not from reasons that we had a hand in mm-hmm. meaning i wasn't around then you know people yeah. our age weren't around then but like our grandparents were around then and they at that point even if it wasn't um like my grandparents had nothing to do with it yeah. it was still the generation where you know people of color their grandparents were told no and they couldn't do it so they they were already behind the eight ball or the generation where they couldn't increase that wealth they couldn't yeah. they couldn't start the generational wealth they didn't start gener- they didn't start really growing that generational wealth until probably mm-hmm. our parents or even our generation where they're now maybe the first time they can actually step out and say they can buy real estate again real estate you don't make money in real estate overnight it's a long-term no. investment so yeah. you take you know that so i look at that i'm like that makes sense. It makes total sense. And I didn't know that. And that's something that I've been able to learn over the last six to eight weeks. The whole concept of redlining is a key piece to understanding the systematic oppression that everyone is referring to in all this. Yeah. And to me is the underlying message. It's, um, I'm not going to go into too deep of a rant cause I could go for, and for, and for <laughs> forever, but, um, it's just understanding that concept because redlining is a huge piece of that puzzle as to why it's still a problem and so to the faces to the people who like you said it never affected you it's harder to understand why things are the way that they are you know well why you know you have the same opportunity i just had someone from home someone i really grew up cared about said something and it pissed me off but you know you 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 know, you had an opportunity. You you were able to do better for yourself. Everybody else can. And I'm like, don't say that because mm-hmm. that's not true. It's true in the sense that I, you know, I did the work that I did to get myself out. But not the system is set up in a way that not everybody has the same even playing field. Mm-hmm. And so what you're seeing right now is a reaction to that of people who are fed up of not being held accountable across all levels. That's it really that's what it boils down to. If I do bad at my job, I get fired. Mm-hmm. If this person does the same thing I did and doesn't get fired, there's a problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How is that not fair? So you so that has and then social media has just brought it to the forefront. It's been happening for forever. Mm-hmm. But social media has just brought it to the forefront because now everybody has a phone that can record it and put it out. So mm-hmm. yes, you do have to decide what media is legit, what media is not. But it's just now brought to the forefront and what you're seeing is and the younger kids get it. Mm-hmm. The younger kids get it. And it, not just the racial stuff. They get the 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 LGBTQ stuff. Mm-hmm. They get it because they're way more open to it mm-hmm. and less resistant because they're exposed to it now in a whole different way than we were when we were kids, let alone our parents. Yeah, I mean, I, that's what I'm saying. I'm, I'm a very open, like... I mean, again, I'm a white, white guy, straight mm-hmm. white guy, living in a primarily white area. Um, I, I would say, you know, obviously growing up, I had a very good family life. Mm-hmm. I didn't have... Any struggles that I have was self-inflicted, meaning I just didn't like work hard. It wasn't like you, no. I, I would say from a playing field, I mm-hmm. was definitely on a level playing field, if not a little bit higher, because I did um, not not in the sense that we were um, you know upper class or anything. But I mean, my parents worked hard. I you know so I, I worked think, hard. But it's think about this concept because it, I just had this epiphany the other day. I'm doing really well for myself. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm making a salary that 
I'm not used to making. My parents are not used to making. So they they weren't set up. My mom's a nurse, so she's working the field. She's doing well now. Um, my dad didn't finish school, you know, so at the time, like... Are they first generation? Mm-hmm. Okay, so they, they, they uh, were born in Dominican? Born in Dominican and then okay. came out here. Um, and at the time, during huge civil rights stuff down there, which was just terrible, like really, really bad. Um, so I, I, don't, I didn't have the influences growing up to teach me how to invest or to teach me how to, this is how you handle your money when you got money coming in like this, mm-hmm. or to teach you how to, you know, you know, buy a house, you know, rent it out and make a profit, make an income, make an invest. Like I didn't have that because mm-hmm. my parents didn't know that. Mm-hmm. So because they never had that opportunity, whereas someone else who has had the opportunity, let's say their parent owns a bunch of restaurants or they own businesses and stuff like that. So you're immersed in a situation where you are seeing and you're learning and you could potentially, you know, for the most part, you're seeing how your parents are navigating and, and seeing that and you're learning. That's how people take over family businesses and it goes from there. So in my case, I didn't have that. So I'm learning how to navigate. Let's just talk money. I'm learning how to navigate the money that's coming in my way. Mm-hmm. And I haven't figured it out yet because I don't, I, I don't, you know, I got, I fell into the trap of one. I never had this money. I want to spend it. Mm-hmm. Like, what can I get? What can I get? What can I get? Yep. I've never had it. I didn't have these things. Oh, I can have it now or I can buy this now from, I can help my family. I can help, you know, I have to do all that, but you know, I didn't have that experience. So it's, it's, it's different. So now that I'm here, you know, if I have children, I'll be able to, you know, teach them that, mm-hmm. but that might not be the case. You know, that, and so it's just an interesting concept. Like I just, you know, yeah, and that, that, that's the biggest takeaway I had because again, not being, I guess being, a, being a little naive to it because and maybe it's just, again, and uneducated on a lot of stuff because I grew up a certain way, just, you know, not to say that I knew everybody didn't grow up the same way, mm-hmm. but then again, when you go back through, there is generational mm-hmm. um, shortcomings that tend, to, like you said, if you go back to when I was just talking about the housing situation, like. That takes generations. So now all that prime real estate was bought mm-hmm. up before, you know, grandparents of our generation uh, or, or people of color for uh, their grandparents didn't even have an opportunity to buy it. Yeah. So that wasn't level. And then yeah. what happens? Well, when, you know, a, a white person has bought that 70, 80 years ago and it's appreciated and then they've been left to the family, been left to the family. Mm-hmm. Now it's down a couple of generations. Now it's worth multi millions. Well, that could have been, you know, for, a black kid now, grandparents, 70, 80 years ago, they would have had that. They don't have it. No. So that was something that like clued me in where it's like, okay, it is really been mm-hmm. like you're affected by the generation, by the generation before. And it's just kind of, you know, and that's the thing that's brought to my eyes where I am hoping going forward, obviously you can't erase the past. It's there. No. Um, so then you look at how do we go from 2020 where we really make an effort to make sure that everybody's on level playing field. And a lot of it, like you said before, um, pay, pay um, a difference. Like when they talk about men making more than females, like male and female not making the mm-hmm. same pay blows my mind. Like yeah. I don't and, – and again, I'm in a field where if I'll – I'll be honest. I'm in a field that for the longest time, most of our top producing um, agents were female in real estate. And that I never looked at them as female agents. I just looked at them as really good agents that I tried to – I wanted to get to that level. Yeah. 
they make the same as I would. And so I'm just in a field that we kind of, we all make the same. So we're not in a field where like my, my compensation is made on my effort where, Mm -hmm. which is what I like and how it should be, I think versus, you know, if a guy is getting paid more than a female who's in this literally the same position, same education, everything. It's like, how is that? Like in 2020, that blows my mind how, there's a gap in the educate or there's a gap in pay. There's a, yeah. like I get gap in pay for like there's I guess I, and, and again this is something because I've had people argue too when they use like sports analogies. Well, how come you know NBA? There was some stat I read the other day that the the entire WNBA made a certain amount of money. LeBron James in a year made like like X times their entire salary himself. Yeah. I get it. There's, there's TV rights, there's endorsements, yeah, yeah. there's attention. There's other factors. Like I get that aspect. And then I've heard, um, I have a friend that he's very much involved in soccer and he was involved in, in female soccer, the woman's soccer. And he, there's a huge difference in, um, the U S men's national soccer team and the women's um, soccer team. Mm-hmm. The women's soccer team is far and away better than the men's soccer team. There's no debating that. They're really good. I watch them every four years. My yeah. wife played a lot of soccer. and um, I've watched every single probably f- women's World Cup U.S. game over the, my lifetime. Mm-hmm. You know, I, just, I love, I love like, and men's too, but I love the World Cup. And there's a difference in pay. And I think they mentioned, and there was stuff I didn't, he was telling me that I had, I had no clue about. Like I was thinking, well, I get it. Like more people watch the men's games, and that's probably why they make more and everything else. But he brought up some stuff, and I forgot. I don't want to say it because I forgot. Honestly, I forgot the exact um, examples. But there was ways I'm like, oh, I never even thought of that. But that makes sense. Like why it should be more of a more of a, um, yeah. a level playing field. The one thing I've, um, which I've always found is, um, I do CrossFit for working out. I've been doing it for like ten years now, and they do a thing every year called the CrossFit Games. Yeah, the CrossFit Games started in 2007. 2007 the men and women's champion made the same amount of money mm-hmm. every year since they've made now the one money the first prize went from five hundred dollars in 2007 to i think last year was over three hundred thousand. they made the same amount of money it's the only the only sport i've ever seen that male and female make the exact, exact same amount of money same. no matter what and it's kind of uh it's always been like that was one thing they never even mm-hmm. thought about it was just like well she's the best female he's the best male you guys here, here's 500 yeah. bucks. And then it just became, here's 125,000 and it just keep growing. So, and it, the, the, sorry, this no, is where I'm going to bring it back to teaching. Um, because it's important for, cause that's what, especially teachers who are in tune with it a lot. It's understanding the impact that you have on a child's life. And it's under, it, it's my responsibility. Like I'll never forget the day I came home from elementary school and I went to my dad, hey dad, I learned about Christopher Columbus, the three boats, the Nina, the Pinta, the Sentinel, and all yeah, this the stuff. Song, and, yeah, yeah. And he goes, what school tell you about that? What the books tell you? You know? And yep. he was like, oh, that's what they told you? Here, have a seat. And then he told me his version. But, you know, and I had that. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's about like educating your student. And I say it all the time. I work with some some kids who the system has already been at a disadvantage for them. You know, I work with students, they come to me because it didn't work in their schools. And if, to be frank, if it doesn't work with me, their options outside of my program are not positive, mm-hmm. you know, and it's not, it's not good, which is why I'm a huge advocate in what I do at CVS of 
making sure we are doing everything in our power to impact these kids and do things differently in order for them to have a successful experience in school. Cause, and I tell the kids from time to time, you know, the system is, is not set up to help you mm-hmm. right now. It is, you know, you, you have an opportunity now where you have these supports here to help make your experience different, to help make your impact you in a way to make, help you make a change intrinsically within yourself that you haven't been able to do before. Let us help you do that, mm-hmm. and which is why we do the work that we do there. Um, but it's important, just as an educator, to really like teach kids the importance of understanding your history, understanding the real history, mm-hmm. in order for you to do better than our predecessors. We, we have an obligation to do better than the people before us. Mm-hmm. You know, thankfully, I feel like, you know, getting to meet you and getting to know you, like, that's what you're doing. I feel like I'm doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. And but not everybody sees it that way. But it's important for us to do that. And we have to t- be. That's why I struggle so much with the things that happen in schools. And if people pay attention, if anything, COVID for a brief period gave some respect back to teachers mm-hmm. as parents are like, oh, crap, mm-hmm. there's a lot of work. You know, I'll never forget Shonda Rhimes. Very well-known writer, wrote a lot of great hit shows. She tweeted, oh, my God, teachers should be getting paid this much because she had all her... And so when I saw stuff like that and then it was, like, trending for a little bit, Mm -hmm. that made me feel good because I'm like, yes, finally, some appreciation to the field that needs to be there and an understanding Um, because his work's not easy. And then working in special education is definitely not easy. So And the system not only is set up to not... The system doesn't have enough resources. It doesn't have, there's, there's a plethora of things. So making sure that you're teaching kids the importance of understanding your history. So when movements like this, like they're happening now, understanding you have a voice. Mm-hmm. And when you choose not to use your voice, that is bad. And don't let anybody tell you that you don't have a voice. You have a voice. You have an impact. If you want to do something, you have every right to go and do it. And if something gets in your way, especially if it's not just if it's not equitable, you do not give up on that dream. You have to fight in order for the changes to be made. Yeah, and I, I think, we, again, we had this conversation last year. I think that's kind of the way I thought you were, you were going with a lot of it. Is I think that you know, starting to get, it will happen over time, I believe, mm-hmm. because of, like you said, every, every generation gets better. It gets more educated. It gets more aware. It gets more, um, I mean, you go back in history, like, 1600s, 1700s, 1800s, like people got better every generation mm-hmm. and and got smarter every generation. And you're talking not just like technology and philosophy and everything else, but I think now we're, we're to the point where the human brain and what they're capable of doing is always they're just mm-hmm. getting better and better and better. But it also has to, there has to come a time where like, again, like accepting people because there's so many mm-hmm. people, like there's 7 billion people on yeah. earth. And that's one thing that I've always, um, I would have a hard time living in New York City just because the hustle and bustle is just, I'm, I'm used yeah. to a small town. Yeah. But man, do well, I love going to New York City because there's so many people there. And it's like, and I mean people, but just different people. And like, yeah. you can talk like people watching all day long, but it's just incredible because. It's super eclectic. Yeah. And I just, I love that. I love Montreal. There's a big culture, mm-hmm. you know, cultural like mesh up there. And it's, to me, I've always, I've like, I've gone to Europe a couple of times. I love it. Like, I wish I could mm-hmm. travel. I mean, now like with kids and stuff, I hope in the future we'll travel more, but I love that kind of stuff because it's eye opening and you get to see different people. And I've always just looked at it like, it's just fascinating. I love mm-hmm. talking to people. I love, um, I had a friend that was on here and he, he was going around and he 
wanted to travel going around going around the world was trying to travel around the world and he was down in south america and he got held up because of covid so he had to kind of like mm-hmm. hunker down for a couple months and then now he's back in this he's actually back locally until it kind of passes because i think he's planning on going back and finishing his trip so he's going out and he's showing all the, these different cultures and countries and stuff and it's so cool because he's just pretty much made it down to south america but just in south america you're talking chile and argentina and, yeah. and uh, paraguay and um, brazil um just how different each culture is and it's so cool and then he's posting and, he, and he's just traveling by himself so he's meeting mm-hmm. all these different people and trying to learn spanish and yeah. doing all this stuff and it's cool that he's documenting and, and again we grew up a mile from each other i mean he's a white kid from shazy yeah. new york i mean he's the same thing but <laughs> you'd even ask him and he like it's just cool like the eye-opening experience but how neat it is to see different cultures and mm-hmm. meet different people and like people like at the end of the day people are people you know they have different backgrounds and stuff but people are so similar and that you know even mm-hmm. a difference where you said like like I, I always laugh like your skin tone literally is a biological evolution of where you lived meaning if you live closer to closer to the equator you have darker skin yeah it's 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 it's, a, it's an adaptation to the sun mm-hmm. like it just blows my mind like that's that's what people judge people by is like how far i guess you grew up from the equator like trust me i can't go down yeah, to the equator i'll yeah. burn I'm, I'm, I'm white but like sunscreen's my friend at that point but it's yeah it's just funny it's kind of laughable when you th- when you look at it that way like that's what people know how people like judge people by like yeah. so but it, it's uh yeah it's good i mean it's definitely it's i mean it's timely it's pat like it should have happened years ago but mm-hmm. i think now it's kind of the same thing like the past is the past but now you have an opportunity to take it and kind of like i said you 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 have different things that are dealt to you. So now it's like, here's an opportunity that you can take this platform and where people are and really, you know, educate and have people accept and really, and most, I'd say Mm -hmm. most people, a lot of people do. And it's the people that are behind the times that hopefully, or the policies or the government or whatever that's behind the times catch up. Cause it's like, and schools are always last to make a reform. And it's not because the teachers and it's not because they don't want to. The system makes it really hard to do that because of how schools are funded and then this and then that. But I use this analogy all the time. And I use it with my staff all the time, you know, because I say, it's like a train. We are in a new generation. Our generation is the last of this old train of this one way of doing things. We grew up with technology and it was coming and then the train stopped and now boom, we're on this train. Everybody has this technology on a whole nother level. We're now teachers, you're not the, the withholder of information teaching people because now everybody can get it on Google. You know, now it's a little bit different now. So you have two options. I tell myself this all the time. You have two options as an educator, especially working with me. You're either gonna hop on the train and be a sponge and learn and enjoy the ride. It's gonna be a bumpy ride, but enjoy it, right? Or you can choose to get dragged on the train with some ropes behind you and have a really crappy ride. But guess what? The train is going that way. Mm -hmm. You decide how you wanna ride it. Mm -hmm. But I'm not changing the fact that we need to move this way in order to make the effective change that we need to make. And it's unfortunate that schools have, it's crazy because the way the world is now, you know, schools have had a bad rep, you know, you know, the way they assess teachers and stuff. And it's really unfortunate because it's not it's not in my opinion, it's not the that's not where you should be putting your energy on. You know, there's a lot of reforms that can happen. And maybe this COVID thing will allow because that's the combos I'm having at my table now. Like, what can we 
what have we learned from this that we can bring back to kind of we've been using the term recalibrate it's a perfect time to recalibrate what we're doing you know and I, a lot of schools are in that headspace right now um but it's that concept of you gotta be we we have to do things differently. We have to move in a certain direction and you have to choose either you're going to be really, really stubborn or really complacent and, and just stick to what you know, stick to what you do, or you're going to hop on the train and, and let's go on this ride together and, and, and have a comfortable bumpy ride rather than being dragged and have a really bad bumpy ride. So the two, the two things that kind of growing up a little bit knowing like teaching Two things I want to ask you: Are these good things, bad things, or just things that need to evolve or be changed? Number one is like tenure of teachers, meaning like you know what tenure like obviously mm-hmm. you a certain amount of years, then your tenure. Yeah, and and I say that not from the standpoint of I think it's great to protect good teachers. The problem is it makes it a nightmare to get rid of bad teachers, mm-hmm. and I don't know if that's meaning that like once you're tenure, you have a, I mean, good and bad, you have a lot of. Um, I would say protection of your position, mm-hmm. um, but I think that works good and bad. Meaning, if you have someone that's making doing a lot of good things, yeah. it protects you from losing your job. Mm-hmm. But also, it, it protects bad teachers from or teachers that are doing stuff wrong or maybe not with the best intent from losing. I wouldn't their job. necessarily look at it like that. You know, tenure is job not job job security ish. Because here's the thing that I'm learning now. There's a time window that I have before you get award tenure, mm-hmm. which to me, it's a couple years before mm-hmm. you get awarded your tenure. And I have to make sure that I'm giving you the right resource, giving you the right things to make you successful. And if I'm still not seeing what I need to see, I'm not, you're not going to get awarded tenure. And so, you know, it's that buffer period. So it creates that, you know, if you're not a right fit for the organization, sorry, we're not going to award you tenure. Yeah, you know, you you would have that, and then tenure when you have, is not. I don't like the term protecting bad teachers. It just it makes an organization go through the appropriate channels if you find a, a teacher who's not meeting the expectations of your organization. Mm-hmm. And it's very HR ish, very business minded. Um, so it's a double edged sword. I can see that perspective that you're coming from, but I see it from a different perspective as well because I'm in it now. And, you know, well, I've had a couple years and if I saw the signs ahead of time and I didn't do anything, that's my fault as the boss. That's my fault as a person signing off to keep this person or whatever the case may be. So, well, I guess I guess on the flip side, meaning if you're like, not you personally, because you're on a position, yeah, like you'd be yeah. giving tenure, right? Or kind of, or... or I have a voice. I, yeah, I was going to say. I have a, weight. A, 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 endorsing someone yeah. kind of deal. Um, yeah, because it's, it's kind of like a union. Like a union's mm-hmm. great for, for good like good workers yeah. or whatever the union, but obviously there's not everybody's good. So then you have the people where they're protected by it, where it's like you can't fire someone that you know is mm-hmm. – I mean, or if you do, like you said, there's a lot of steps that you have to go through mm-hmm. to make sure like you kind of remove the bad apples, which yeah. um, unfortunately but can last some to, time. And here's and this is why I want to do so many things. I just have to figure out how to get to a spot where I can be heard on a grander scale. I just don't know how to do that yet. We'll talk about your podcast after. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's like this is where the system. Like, and I have to be careful how much I say. But a teacher doesn't go into teaching to be bad. Mm-hmm. 
the environment around them changes their spark. The environment around them may cause them to lose, let alone the personal things that may happen at home. I don't know a teacher that goes in, someone who goes into teaching with these at the schools and the programs that they have, because New York State has a whole bunch of regs now that make it very difficult for people to get certifications, which doesn't help the shortage. But people, teachers don't go into it to be a bad teacher. Mm-hmm. It's everything after that may cause the spark to dim down or the the energy or the perspective or life happens that shifts but when you're working in a field i'm just gonna say it. when you, know, you made a good point when you're working in an environment that you're not you know salaries mm-hmm. i'm not gonna talk about numbers but the salaries of a teacher mm-hmm. you can look it up oh yeah there's there. there right they the amount of work that's involved the amount of work that people forget is involved the amount of high stress and then let's not talk about trauma secondhand trauma you're working with students who may have and i'm in special ed so it's trauma a lot Mm -hmm. you know so you know secondhand trauma you're working with these things and then if you don't have these other things to help it's just like i said I'm going to hire you and I'm going to give you the things that you need to be successful so that you do what I want you to do for our organization, for our programs. Why? For our kids. Mm-hmm. And it's the same concept. Like I, You have to give that. But the field, the, the setup of how the field is, is designed to operate doesn't allow for that. I'll just say this. A teacher doesn't go into teaching to be bad. Yeah. And what about, um, cause you kind of talked, my idea of learning for a lot of kids and I've had this conversation with a couple friends and, and they've, you know, have some kids that, uh, you know, don't maybe don't learn like other students learn or, you know, mm-hmm. cause again, everybody's different, you know, people have yeah. different levels. Like the one thing I was, do they still do, they still do it, right? Standardized testing yep. and things like that. Yep. I mean, the, I always had a hard time cause I, I was always I did fine on testing. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I I didn't get overwhelmed by testing. I you know I so but I know there's kids that do. I know there's kids that there are different learning curves. Again, knowing yeah. I mean, I, I actually I substitute taught back in college. So I mean, okay. not the minimal. I mean, I'm, again, yeah. I, we're talking no more than a couple weeks total probably during uh, winter breaks. But you still see, like you see your high achieving kids, probably the kids mm-hmm. that you know have easy or an easier time learning have you know a good support system at home then you get the kids that just don't and um you you look at them and they're in the same class and they're Mm -hmm. learning the same stuff and then they have to take the same test on the same timeline meaning you have this many months to get Mm -hmm. prepped for this test and some kids don't you know don't test well or you know and i find that people learn different ways too like i'm much more of a hands-on visual learner than i am textbook i'm not a fast Mm -hmm. reader um, I actually think I've picked up like a mild dyslexia as I've gotten older. Like mm-hmm. I've, I've really struggled reading some stuff sometimes where I'm like, I don't know. I, I don't know if you can, you know, adapt that as you get older, but I've never done, but there's times like I've noticed over the last couple of yeah. years, I'm like, man, I, I don't know what I'm looking at, but it's still the idea that you, um, you know, I, I think that kids learn on such a different, a different way and more hands on. Mm-hmm. And I think that like you said, learning, there's one thing that I've always like wished that schools implemented was more life skill co- like teaching, where it's yeah. more of like, like you said, money management. Like hey, mm-hmm. the fact that kids go to college 
and then go all the way through college and then go and like their job and then realize like nobody's ever taught me how to properly manage my money mm-hmm. or invest or or um, a whole host of just things yeah. that you don't think about that aren't ever taught. Um, you know, and I think that I wish those were more put in and I think they and might be more. There are more. So there are in New York State, you have a, a board of uh, cooperative educational services, which is BOCES. So, and every state has their own type of thing. Um, but in New York, so there are programs like that, you know. So everybody says, where I work, they say, oh, you work at CV Tech. No, I don't work at CV Tech. I work in CVES and special ed. But yeah, CV Tech is right there too. Yeah. Uh, so they have all those programs that they can do that. And, and our, my division has that life skills programs for the kids that are unable to obtain the academic rigor and you have to teach them how to be as independent as possible, Mm -hmm. you know, outside of that. Um, But you're right, we should be teaching more of that and we still do that standardized testing piece. It's not necessarily my favorite, um, but that's, you know, for example, this because of COVID was the first year the regions have been canceled and I think God knows how long. Yeah, so I took them as growing you know, up. Well, you must have too, right? Oh, yeah. York, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So to the fact that Regents exams got canceled this year blew my mind. I was like, oh, granted, I was like, they need to be because I don't I don't necessarily know how this was going to play out with, mm-hmm. with, with COVID happening when things were really, really happening bad. Um, but that's never happened before. So that's what I mean. This may or may not cause some rethinking, some mm-hmm. reevaluation of things. I don't know, but I hope that it will. I hope it exposes some stuff, like you said, from the teaching aspect, from mm-hmm. uh, you know working from home aspect for a lot of people, yeah. and and I think there's a lot that will come out of it, and I think nothing else is, is allows us to kind of slow down and reevaluate and then change yeah. and, and for the better. Um, but the standardized testing that was just one that I always thought was kind mm-hmm. of growing up that it's, is it really is it really needed? Does it's, it? I, I, there's don't get me wrong. There's positives to it because I think it does yeah. tell kids like, hey, you got to. And this is as I've gotten older. I, I didn't realize this back in school, but even if you don't do well in the test, just the buildup and the learning curve and, and the teaching and, and the um, working towards a big goal of mm-hmm. passing your regents all year is a life skill for like anybody. Yeah. That, like, hey, maybe you had a – I was bad at science. Like science, I struggled at. I'll, I I was bad at science. Yeah. Maybe, but it was just one where like the, to me, like I had to work extra hard for science where – I was going into like history regions, I was like, okay, I'm good. Like I can go yeah. in and I can ace this. The uh, the so for me, like now looking back at it, it's still teaching kids good skills. Like when, I remember we did a a senior project in my school, and the senior project is like its own class in itself. Like mm-hmm. it's part of. I think it got tied into like English. So the te- the teacher was the same, but it was a full on like report project. It took you like most of the year to do all the work. And it wasn't, looking back at it now, it was the end result. Like, it wasn't like doing the project. And yeah. This was a very extensive, took a, the entire year to do it. It was its own separate grade. It was a big thing. And a lot of people, it was funny because you get, I remember hearing kids complain about it and parents complaining yeah. about it. And you had, <laughs> it was a mixture. You had like, you know, was it fair or not fair to do? And I, I was, again, one of those kids. I was, I was lucky at the time where I was just, I was, I just worked. Hard. I had a good work ethic. Yeah. Same thing in sports. I wasn't the best athlete, but I did enough to make the team and play and, and stuff mm-hmm. just through work. I wasn't, I wasn't, and trust me, I didn't have the, the gifted skills, but <laughs> so you kind of look at the same thing where now I, 
you know, I kind of look at it as it's not the end result. It's not like how good the project was. Yeah, you get a grade for it, but whatever. But it's mm-hmm. like I learn more about just like discipline and just organization and like deeper thinking to do this project that we turned in at the end of the year. And it was a, I mean, huge binder of work yeah. and a couple pro- presentations and things that you had to have done. And, and not just the knowledge you gained, but it was just, it was more the, the process of what yeah. we learned. And you look at that, like, you don't know that as a kid. Like at no. 18, 17, 18 years old, when you're doing it, you're thinking, here's this dumb project I got to do. It's going to take all this time. And all I'm doing mm-hmm. is turning it in for a grade. But you would, and this was something that I remember there was a couple of moments I was working at. And I remember vividly going in and we had a very, I mean, our, um, our, like uh, he was a librarian, but our librarian, it was one of those guys at school um, that he just goes above and beyond for kids. We have yeah. a couple of teachers that just like they put their heart and soul into these kids and still a good friend to this day. He was there on a Sunday, like January or February, mm-hmm. just like there all day long. Now on a, a Sunday for a teacher in the middle of the winter where most probably other teachers are hanging out home and relaxing, whatever, he's in school helping kids pass this test. And I remember I went in and I just remember there's these big long tables um, in our school and it was littered with note cards. Yeah. And because note cards, because the way I used to do keep organized was I would write an individual note or sentence on it, mm-hmm. and I would stack them up and then rearrange them until they were in kind of the order I needed to write my paper or whatever. And I remember just working, had this big long table out, and it was just kind of a cold day, and we're working. And there was a couple of kids in there doing it, and our, you know, and our librarian was there, and he was opening up his basically the doors for us to come in and work. And I just remember a couple of those moments where. I just like got into a groove and I'm like, yeah. and you just, it wasn't the, you kind of found like it was, I still remember it. It was, it was the dream first reality of Irish immigrants was my topic. Okay. And I, my, my, my grandfather came from Ireland. So that was the tie in. And then it yeah. was like, what's your theme of that, that yeah, group? Yeah. And I was like the dreams and reality, what you expected versus what you got when you came to, mm-hmm. you know, America in the, you know, the early 1900s. And it was kind of one where I was somewhat interested in it, but then you got like really involved in it. But the whole purpose of it was, I think it was really teaching you how to learn and how to, you know, work for a, a big moment, like all yeah. your work. And then finally, when we had the big presentation at the end of the year, you really got to sit down and be like, wow, that was kind of cool. Because the, the other thing it taught is, as I was 18 at the time we gave the presentation, all the, all the parents come, a lot of teachers mm-hmm. come, you know, some students come, you know, the, yeah, you know, maybe yeah, the siblings yeah, that yeah. got dragged along, but like <laughs> they all come for this presentation. But the cool thing was you could sit there and have a conversation with adults at the time. Mm-hmm. And when you talk about fear of public speaking, there was no fear of public speaking because you only have, you really only have a fear, a fear of public speaking when you don't know what you're talking about. Exactly. So like when you talk about like, I can rant for hours on education, I can do the same for real estate. Cause I know what I'm talking about. And like, yeah. I'm just like, mine's going and you're passionate and you're talking. Yeah. But it was cool to see like at the I, like now like now this is the first time I actually really thought about this like giving that presentation to adults who at the time it's scary to talk to people that are adults at that age you know mm-hmm. and you're talking to them because you're the expert on your topic but it's just <laughs> is that your phone no oh that's my phone here just a sec Joe Rogan's going off just a sec oh you're fine something, something just like went off my phone All right, we're back. I don't know. My phone just went off, and uh, the podcast from Joe Rogan was just, just... I listened to a lot of Joe Rogan, so he was... Oh, he's awesome. Yeah, so he's he, awesome. I'm listening to the latest Fight Companion. But <laughs> um, 
but it was just like the, the the whole process of like giving this presentation and and being the expert because you've spent seven eight nine months working on this project mm-hmm. and you're giving it to adults and and again at that age you don't think of the bigger picture but it's kind of funny the what it ingrains in you so like when i went to college i went to plattsburgh my first course um at plattsburgh was one of my first ones was like gen ed was english mm-hmm. and i remember showing up and we had to have a rough draft due and i remember this clear as day i spent same thing i mean i was one year removed from school and um, and I, I remember doing this whole paper and everything and I like got it all ready for my rough draft, whatever to bring it in. And it was like eight to 10 pages. It was a pretty lengthy yeah. report at the time. And I forgot, forgot what the topic was and brought it in and gave it to the teacher. Actually, I know what I think it was. I think it was, should, should the legal drinking age be 21 or 18? It's a, mm-hmm. a true yeah, college yeah, freshman yeah. report, right? <laughs> so I bring this and I give the presentation and then I look and this kind of to your point, all of a sudden they go around the room. I would say out of a room of 20 kids, maybe five to seven actually had a rough draft done. Mm-hmm. 10 of them weren't done kind of like still yeah. doing it. Now, granted, our teacher was like, you're it's due by this date. So in my head, I'm like paper due that date, get it done. And then three, there was one kid next to me that goes, oh yeah. So what were we supposed to write about the day the draft mm-hmm. was due? So in my head, I'm like, are you kidding me? But that, that talked to, like, again, the upbringing. Like, again, not everybody's the same. Some yeah. of it could have been laziness, but some of it yeah. could have been just kids didn't know how to write a paper. And um, that was kind of an eye-opener for me because, again, I went from, you know, a small school at Shazy yeah. to Plastic State, which it's not a huge college, but it is a diverse college. I mean, yeah. it's pretty diverse when you sit down and you have kids from all over the state, all over the world. Really, oh, yeah, you start getting immersed. So it's just kind of like that was like an eye-opener to me um, from at least the the education standpoint. But yeah. you talk about like training kids to learn um, by doing – like that was a big – I learned more doing that senior project I think than a lot of stuff because I wasn't just listening to a teacher talk. Because it was project-based. Mm-hmm. It was project-based. You 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 had a lot of soft skills in there that led up to that big end goal. Um, and so you'll see – you'll hear concepts now like project-based learning. You know, that's a big wave, you know, with integrating more hands-on type of projects towards one goal and then hitting the standards in just a different way. So that way that hands-on piece so that they can have the experience that's more memorable because it clearly impacted you for you to remember all those details that you just spit out to me. It clearly impacted you that you remembered that, you know, and that's what that's what the teachers want is for those experiences to happen across the board. So how do you like the role of being an administrator? I do. You've embraced it now? And I've say, embraced it, yeah. yeah. At first, when I got, when people said, oh, you should be an administrator, I'm like, no way. That's how how the, old were you when you got that? When you they said, told me, when I was first approached about being administrator, I was 26. I mean, that's young. Yeah, and then I was 26 when someone was like, have you ever thought about administration? I looked at the person side-eyed like, Girl, you crazy. <laughs> no, <laughs> I see the stress you go under. I don't need to do that. Um, and then I got my internship at 27 and landed my full time gig here at CBS at 28. 28. So yeah. administrator at 28. I yeah. mean, because really at that point you're you're leading basically teachers that are probably twice your age. In some yeah, cases. I had to go through this learning curve. I had. On one hand, I'm young, I'm new, fresh ideas, different type, you know, I have energy and spunk. 
And then on the other hand, it's like, I'm working with some really seasoned people and I have to tell them this, like, it, I had to prove myself even more to that group of people that I was working with. Mm-hmm. And even within the educational community here, like, that I, you know, am, I know what I'm doing and, and can be an effective leader. It, it's it, the, uh, the paradigm shift for people is different because same, again, I'll parallel to mm-hmm. our business. The younger agents coming in are easy to, yeah. to, to, are easy to, I don't say buy in, but are easy to like align with what I'm doing. Cause mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, it makes total sense. Like, Oh dude, like, okay. Social media, meet people, network, blah, blah, blah. Easy, easy, easy. Like yeah. it makes sense. Then I try to tell it to someone that's been around for a while or even like my, my dad will admit too. And we first started kind of shifting the way we were doing marketing and stuff and brain, like I say brain chat, but it was like, I brought it to the table. I'm like, this is what we have to do just a different different generation and he's like and it took him some now he's on board with it but like mm-hmm. it took some time because again i had to i had to prove why i thought it i knew in my head mm-hmm. it was the right thing but again he's coming from it he wasn't totally yeah. new for him this so, is where the people skills come into play mm-hmm. because you have to be able to foster good relationships with people and i had to earn their trust you know they always say when you be when you get your first administrative job like my mentor told me he goes your first year, keep things as is, normal. You listen, watch, pay attention. Listen, watch, pay attention, pay attention. Don't make any major moves that first year. You need to learn everything. And then the major moves you want to make, you start chipping at it year two. Mm-hmm. Year three, you could, you should hopefully, you have the weight to say, this is where we need to go. You, like, you have to build, because people who do changes right away, you shake up the culture too much in a way that's it's going to be negative. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to build that trust. And what I walked into, I had to really earn those folks' trust. You know, there's a lot of like you said, like uh, people skills, EQ, like emotional mm-hmm. emotion. Like you got to really understand. And like you said, you got to. I think, you know, if you have a goal and you're driven for a goal and you have something kind of in that distance, I call it like a slow climb, distant yep. horizon thing. But there's times that you need, like I said, time to strike or time where it's like, okay, now's, now I can say or do or implement yep. this because the time's right. And mm-hmm. um, there's some stuff that like I've waited a couple years and then it was like there's a couple – like I almost call it like almost like a roller coaster. Like you're yeah. a train. Or train actually yeah. was the analogy. It was like we were a train and like I was watching the train go by. If I didn't jump on the train when I – very spe- specific time. Yeah. If I didn't get on the train at this time, we would have missed it. And there was a lot of things that wouldn't have happened, um, at least the way they, they have happened. Not to say we wouldn't have been at the same area, but yeah. it, was a, it would have been a different, maybe slower path. But again, it's like you have the ideas. There's some things I want to do now. I'm like, I'm getting closer, yeah. but it's not ready yet. Like yeah, I'm still yeah, baking. Yeah. I'm still yeah. prepping that it's yeah. going to like give me a couple years and mm-hmm. then like that opportunity will arise. And I'll be like, now's the time. Um, I'll have kind of some some support in place, and we'll yeah. be able to pull it off. And I think that's what you're ultimately doing. Um, I mean, to me, being an administrator, four years in now. Yeah, uh, you September know? will be the start of year five. Yeah, which is crazy to think about. Blows my mind. Yeah, yeah. and that so it I mean, blows it's, my mind. It's kind of cool. Like, <laughs> but you, I call it the snowball effect. Like, if you started, um, you got your first, you know, teaching job, twenty two, twenty three right mm-hmm. roughly and you said the first year you just kind of you're just like you're going through the motions you're learning you're mm-hmm. learning very basic stuff yep. you're like yep. level one and then as you get more and more you connect the dots and your mind gets thinking more and you yep. get you, you become a little wiser and a little more you 
Again, understand the people and the politics, yep. and you understand the other players in the field or the, the other outlier variables. And then it just keeps building and building and building. And now it's like it's been building, and I call it, again, the snowball effect, meaning each year the snowball rolls bigger and compoundly gets bigger because yeah. there's more surface area to grow. Yeah. That your last four years have grown faster than your first seven or eight, and then, or six or seven. Mm-hmm. That it's going to be cool to watch you go from 34 to say 40, where, or 32, sorry, 32 yeah. to 40, where like that eight years, like how, or even to 32 to 35, how quickly that three year growth will be. Yeah. And that will be small compared to the next three year growth. And, and it's all a matter of like chunking, chunking it. Cause I recently, in the last six months, I've been realizing i have to reinvest into myself but what does that look like so that's what i've been spending my own personal work you know for me to what does it look like for me to get that spunk i had when i first got hired when i first had the internship i was you know i had this like i gotta get my certs i gotta finish this i gotta finish i need the job i need the job boom i got the job so now i've been here for three years like so it's like i said i'm here and now i'm itching itching for something else so like, what is that? So for me right now, I'm in a headspace where I'm trying to reinvest into myself. And it looks completely different than what I thought reinvesting into yourself means. Reinvesting into myself, you know, I'm looking for a new apartment. Mm-hmm. I need a new living space. Mm-hmm. I need to change my, my energy around me. I just, I've grown out of the situation that I'm in right now. And I just need to, you know, just by just decorating that'll just give me some new my mm-hmm. office has been the same the last three four years i need to change that space up i need to change the look and the vibe i need to There's reorganize some something. in there yeah and so that really does play a part for me it makes a big deal um so like that's kind of the vibe i have right now is you know i started a couple things but that kind of had to put them on pause because of covid which is understandable mm-hmm. but you know so now what can i do to reinvest into myself because i'm like you said when i'm 40 i'm pretty excited to see what what i'm gonna do but i just have to make sure i don't catch myself of not making the moves or making the moves too quick you're saying yeah yeah like not rushing the biggest thing i've learned is learning when to make the right move so whenever i'm overwhelmed this is from that oprah video whenever i'm overwhelmed and then life is telling me oh, what am i gonna do next you know, it's like, be still, stay silent, and ask yourself this question. What is the next right move? And then once you get into that headspace and you have a clear headspace to decide what that is, then you make the move, and then you make the move from there, and then from there. And it helps with that overwhelming piece that sometimes really gets people and gets in people's well, way. Think about, like, chess. Like, you can move pieces backwards. Mm-hmm. Or soccer, you can pass the ball backwards because everybody thinks you mm-hmm. got to go forward all the time, and it's... You know, you really, you really start thinking about there's, there's benefit to taking a step back. Yes. And, and I think that's a very big parallel in life. I mean, I'm not a, I can play chess. I'm not great. If you know how to play chess, you'll beat me. Like, I mean, if you really play chess, you'll beat me. But um, it's like playing many years of soccer too. Like the best move sometimes is going back, you know, Mm -hmm. and that, that happens multiple times a game. So it's. You got to really under because again it's funny when you're a kid playing soccer. Did you ever play soccer? I did. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So when you're a kid playing soccer, what happens? Usually the biggest, fastest kid gets the ball and runs, runs. and then it's like the worm or was it the snake game? Everybody yeah. follows and it's just kind of mm-hmm. this big line of kids. Then you get a little bit more spacing as you get older, but yeah. everybody's still going forward. Yeah. And then eventually, everybody kind of gets more aware of the game, a little more smart, and they're like, "Wait, I can pass back to that guy. Yeah. I don't always have to just yeah, drive yeah, it yeah. forward and lose the ball." And, and so I think that's that's a a good analogy for the professional setting of you don't always have to, as much as I want to grow, 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 
taking a step back, like you said, having the poise to take a step back, take a deep breath and say, what's the next step? Almost like a general or like an admiral or like like a captain of a ship being like, where do we have to go next? It's Mm -hmm. not always like just go forward. Like, and that's to me, the defining piece of uh, not just being a leader, but being an effective leader. Um, is just that concept and that process right there is taking that step back because that's where I'm at right now. If for me to do the things that I would love to find myself being able to do, I have to sit in this space right now because I have to learn, I have to be in the field, I have to gain the credibility so that way when I get to the platform, when I can speak to the level that I want to, I have the weight and the respect to say it and people can hear it. And that's yeah, that's important. So um danny went in there yeah not good P- partly because i gotta go to the bathroom but yeah. that's <laughs> the uh well hey i i really appreciate coming on i think um part of it was you know talking to you before i think that you're doing a lot of um really cool things within your field of education i think taking the right approach you know what i mean i think yeah. like going forward i think your approach is is going to be something that um will be beneficial and i know speaking with you before i'm excited to see um, you know, the next 10 years and beyond, as you yeah. said, I'm not a, you like aging. Do I like aging? I mean, aging in the sense of like, I was just telling you before I got mm-hmm. here, I'm like, I got this hip thing that's yeah. killing me. Like, I don't, I mean, I wish I was 20 physically, some stuff, but from a mental standpoint and from like a, uh, experience standpoint, like I just hit 30 this year. Uh-huh. Some people are like, ah, like every, every year, like oh, I hit 20, hit 30, hit 40, 50. Your thirties is different. I was pumped to hit 30. Yeah, me too. And, and I think. The reason is 20s... You're finding yourself. Exactly. 30s, you know who you are. I think 20s are the hardest years because you're coming from a position that you don't know what you want to do. Uh-huh. You're still young. Yeah. You're in a financial, very like low place in yeah. the sense that you're looking yeah. at mom and dad or you're finding that, like you said, kind of going broke for a little bit of time. Yeah. And I think most people were in that. I had a couple years where I was like, Ooh, like okay, like I got to yeah. really kind of navigate my way out of this. Um, but my 30s... like. I'm a little more established in life. I have, you know, I'm kind of getting the circle of friends and family and people that I want to mm-hmm. be around and, and meeting new people like meeting you and meeting some other people recently. So I'm like, man, my, like my twenties like kind of ended there and it's the compound yeah. effect. I can't wait for the thirties. So far. So good. I'm going to be 33 in December and it's exactly. Wait, when's your birthday again? You mentioned this. December 29th. 24th. So oh, Capricorn. Love yeah. It. So December 29th and I'm, it's true what they say. So the 30s is just different. You just know who you, in my case, I just knew who I was, not only just with work, but I did my personal work where I, I know who I am and it's completely different ball game. So you just, you learn, you look at things differently. You, and you reflect on things a lot differently. And for me, it's working out very well. Must be a Capricorn thing because there's a lot of Capricorn people I talk to that have a good mindset. Yes, I don't know. I don't. I don't know anything about uh, yeah. zodiacs. We're, we're constantly. Yeah, we're a creature of habit. Sometimes we're really passionate about work. Um, are you? Are you the kind of anal? Yeah, and so like I'm, are particular like attention I'm very to detail. Ma- I'm very meticulous. Yes and meticulous, no. Meticulous. Yeah. Methodical. Yeah. Yeah. And but I'm. In my 30s, I've learned I got to live my life. Yeah. I work this hard. I got to enjoy it, too. And so I don't feel bad when I have to take time off. I used to. Yeah. But now I'm like, nope, this is, I've worked hard for this. That, I earned it. So that self, uh, self-investment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. It's been, it's been a great talk. Um, I'm just put out there. I have a podcast called um, Mr. V's Principal Lens. You can find that on all platforms. I'm starting my podcast journey. I've been have a couple 
topics out there. So that's a place you can check me out. Um, and you'll just hear me school leadership type things talking about stuff, you know, is it Apple, Spotify, all, all of those, it, Stitcher, yep. all those. Yep. Okay. Yep. Um, and we'll put your, uh, your handle in the show notes and we'll put that yeah. in the show notes so people can find it. Um, Sweet. and if they want to reach out to you, Instagram or something like that, be easy or if email or whatever. Yeah, that works. What is it? Just, so um, know. you can find me on Twitter at Danny J A Y 87. Um, and that's pretty much my handle across Facebook and Twitter. Um, and then on, on, for the podcast, you just look up Mr. V's principal lens and you'll find it. Perfect. Cool. Danny, thank you for coming on. Thank you so much. And uh, great shirt. He, uh, yeah. I, t- I told him he <laughs> had he, to rep. He, he, uh, he wore our shirt in and I said, look at this guy. He's, re- yeah. he's, re- he's ready to crush. Um, he came prepared. Um, okay. Episode 77, the Galen Trombley show. Thanks for listening to the Galen Trombley show. If you want to reach me, you can go on Facebook at Galen Trombley, on Instagram at Galen Trombley, and on YouTube at Galen Trombley. The spelling, G-A-E-L-A-N-T-R-O-M-B-L-E-Y.